Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. One of the worrying stories making the red tops today is the criminality of youth, or at least stories before the courts this morning, where the Star's front page says teen girl rape horror in a caravan park, where it's an allegation that a boy of 14 uh, and uh, his elder brother then uh, attacked her in in front of a gang. Uh, five years detention for what they call in the papers to say th- this morning, the young beast. It's a schoolboy story. Raped a teenage girl in uh, a field near a holiday caravan pa- camp uh, two years ago. Um, received a, a sentence of five years dis- detention. And after the repeated raping of the teenager, the 14-year-old then said that... Uh, she would have to have sex with his older brother, who was 17 at the time. Um, I, I just find stories like that more and more very, very disturbing because we're hearing more and more of them. Uh, but a bizarre case from the courts this morning makes both the red tops and indeed the broadsheets. Like there's a red top headline this morning, the front of the sun, where a dad used, they, they say, dad used kids cash to buy sex toys. Who'd want to be a judge? When you got cases like this coming before you, before Judge Mary Larkin, a dad has been slammed for splurging over 400 euro on sex toys while falling behind in maintenance payments for his young son. Now, um, uh, the court reports on it tell us that uh, the judge lashed out at the father because he spent 400 euro on what the judge called fiddly didos and diddly doodas from an online sex shop while falling behind in maintenance payments for his uh, for his young son. Now, the man claimed that he was struggling on weekly social welfare of €203. Euro, uh, but his uh, ex-partner, the mother of the child, brought in bank statements showing that he'd spent €400 um, with a company called Love Honey. And the judge said, you wouldn't be spending over half your money on fiddly didos if you only had 203 euro a week. Now, he said that he was struggling and finding it difficult. But the judge said that anyone on 200 a week would be worried about how they'd spend their money on food, ESB and other bills. Uh, There was a maintenance order placed on this character uh, to pay 45 euro maintenance towards his son per week. But would you believe it? He was only paying 25 euro a week. Um, the judge then, duly in the court, raised the maintenance to 80 euro a week, um, with all arrears to be paid back by the 7th day of October. The judge said, I'm satisfied, she said, that you're extremely well off after she heard all the evidence that he was the owner of two houses with no mortgages and had cash businesses and uh, his ex-partner claimed that he was safe in the house where he was depositing the cash from his business. Mind you, his solicitor said that um, the man does not operate on the black market in any way, shape or form. Uh, But apparently the court also heard that the woman said that her ex-partner video records her at the handover of their child and the judge ordered that all video recording is to stop describing it as intimidation. Um, I, I mean, that's an extraordinary case that makes the courts from yesterday and that court report is in the examiner, incidentally. But you would think that um, if you had the money, that you would do everything and anything in your power to provide for your son or your daughter, uh, your loved ones, your offspring, uh, rather than that kind of carry on, wouldn't you? And for it to get into court like that, it's... Uh, as I, listen, as I say, who'd want to be a judge? 31 Days to Freedom is the story that makes... And your thoughts are welcome on that, actually. Text 0868104106. Text 0868104106. Thousands of workers went back to work yesterday. Um, a milestone. A lot didn't, though. I mean, I mean, you know, traffic is, is nuts, and it's like... 
as you were really, to be honest with you. Uh, but an awful lot of businesses and companies are just, you know, steadying the ship and saying, well, we'll see how it goes and take it uh, week by week, month by month. And, you know, we'll have blended working or we'll have a slow return. But I mean, I'm out of here uh, if, if they allow dogs into the workplace. There's a story making the mirror this morning that said dog owners, dog owners should be allowed to bring their pets to the office. No disrespect to the charity that suggests this. And, you know, they're entitled to their opinion. So many people became dog owners during the pandemic. We feel that more workplaces should welcome dogs and the dogs will remain in the, rather than dogs remaining in the home. We can hopefully avoid another wave of surrender requests if people can instead just bring them to work with you. All kinds of work, I suppose. <laughs> in hospitality. In, in fitness, in office works, in, I mean, in legal practices, in supermarkets and stuff like that. I mean, imagine if you're in and around here. I mean, make an awful lot, make a lot more sense, actually. If you could bring your kids to work, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, I mean bring, bring our kids to work. Save an awful lot on childcare costs and all sorts of other stuff like that. But dogs to work. Oh my God, with the barking and the poo and the peeing and the and the cooing and the ooing and the ahing. I couldn't handle it. It'd be just too much for me. Anyway, your thoughts. Text 0868104106. Thank you so much, America. They're letting us back in. I'll hold tough for another while if you don't mind. But Irish people and lots more will be able to go back into America and remember if they're jabbed. It's the front page of many of the papers. Joy. I wouldn't quite call it joy now, in fairness, but it will be joyous, of course, for people who, who want to um, you know, be able to go and meet loved ones or children or grandchildren and vice versa for the first time in a long, long time. I think that's the real upside of it. The ban on travel means that families who've been separated for like 20 months will be able to get back together again. Michal's over at the moment uh, in, in New York and um, I, I think he, he's kind of being slightly misrepresented. I'm not so sure that he actually cast any doubts on the 12.5% corporation tax rates, but the newspapers seem to think that he did and that there's something in the wind and there's something in the offing. But you heard in the news there, they're rampant. You know what happened with regards to the protest and the vile abuse at Leo Varadkar's house and the house himself and his partner, Matt, that demonstration. Well, the guards on Lee side now have upped security for our own three senior cabinet members. You'll see a lot more guard activity and I suppose patrols and stationary patrols, I'd imagine, at Michal Martin's gaff, Michael McGrath's gaff and Simon Coveney's gaff. Uh, but there was a joint police committee meeting, of course, uh, uh, yesterday as well as, um, I think there was also one last week where they were talking about the increase in the amount of uh, uh, of knife seizures. They say that the increase in knife seizures is because there's a huge increase in stop and search on Side where the guards are stopping more people and searching them by all accounts. But yesterday, on the agenda, was was drugs um, and uh, the need, the desperate need, for a supervised drug injection facility in the city. So I will be coming back to that later on. But your thoughts are welcome as to how you would feel about a walk-in um, uh, injection facility where people could literally go in and inject. And and that would be injecting heroin now. Don't Don't think that it's any kind of... Medica- medically approved pharmaceutical product that they'll be given. Uh, but other injections make the papers also because we are now looking towards the third COVID jab. And that will start next week, or at least appointments will be sent out to, to begin with, the tens of thousands of immuno- immunocompromised people. They're the first who'll get their uh, first appointments for the third jab next Monday. These are the booster jabs we're talking about. 
And one dog that does make the papers who's going to work is the first dog uh, that's going to get his own job as a school therapy dog. And that is Alfie, a 16-week-old golden doodle puppy who goes to work for the first time, first in the country as well, I think, to Middleton CBS Primary School. I may well have more on that a little later on. And to everybody that did the huge Clean Coast Beach cleanup, Cork volunteers amongst them cleaned 80 different beach locations uh, over the weekend. And would you believe uh, that I think that they actually managed to uh, clean up seven tons of litter? Seven tons of it from our beaches. Wally's on the way home. More on this a little later on. He spotted off Iceland, so his trip around Ireland and, uh, and Europe has come to an end. And two interesting ones for things what you might have in the attic. I uh, don't know if anybody's got an original proclamation up in the attic, but that's worth at least a hundred grand and probably more. But going to auction, uh, Michael Collins' walking stick, and they figure that it will make at least ten grand and possibly more at auction next week. And a character who's come up, a fellow actually called Harry Potter, who has an original Harry Potter. He's got a first edition uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. He sold it yesterday for €35,000. First edition Potters make big money. The Neil Prenderville Show. Bernard O'Hare, good morning. Good morning, Nate. Here we are again on the air, yet again discussing our Cork City. Um, we were talking about it yesterday morning, some events and some carry-on uh, in the city centre. Uh, you're specifically talking about Friday night. Uh, what did you witness? Yeah, and uh, well, it was Friday night. It was fairly busy around uh, the city and especially up there in Grand Parade, you know. Um, people were enjoying themselves and seeing some good enough spirits, but I was on the way up to meet two friends of mine, you know, and um, what we call it, across from the Grand Parade, about nine, oh, sorry, about half nine, 20 to 10, there's one of the girls, you know, too, that's, that's been homeless for the last couple of years and on and off and, you know, going through addiction. And she looked absolutely terrible. Now, there's no judge, I'm not trying to say it in judge, you know, judgmental way or anything, but like she was drooling, she was hardly able to stand up. You she know? on the ground. No, no, she was standing up uh, at this time and she was with another person. Like, she was still able to stand up at this stage. So I went up and I met my friends up there at the bench there beside the bridge. You know, the art gallery, I think CAT took it over. I do, uh, yeah, you're talking about Nano-Nagel yeah, yeah. footbridge. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, exactly, yeah, that white building there. Anyways, we were sitting there, we were just chatting away and whatever, and next thing, we looked over to the right and you could see her coming up. Uh, towards as if she was going to head up onto the bridge with her friend and um, she seemed to got a lot like progressively worse and I've seen people over those through uh, you know just um, through the hostels and on the street and stuff like that but this colour was it wasn't even like she was blue or something she was just this stone grey white as if like and I don't mean to be disgusting but she was drooling she was kind of putting her hands out in the way and I, again I'm not trying to be disc- um disgrace the girl or be judgmental but it was like she was a zombie she had the arms out and flapping at something that wasn't even there and she kept going in and out of consciousness she was up and down off the ground and when I say up and down off the ground she was kind of collapsing to the ground and then she's going in and out of it it was like whatever she was on you would describe it as bad gear yeah I, you know what I've seen an, an awful lot of that lately as well um, and again you don't have to be involved in any sort of homeless groups are volunteering it's it's there all day every day in the city and 
but that night in particular, there was a number of people said around the around the city, you know, going through um, addiction and that that were, were similar to that girl. And it just seems like it's a lot. Of, it's very potent, or it's you know, I know they mix it with God knows everything and that. And but are we talking about I pills here? Or are you talking about some kind of a strange mix of of heroin? Uh, or it has to be. The, I've seen people on pills, and I, I was on them myself in the past. You don't act well. From I, I've seen anyone's experience, this was this was heroin. This was this was gear. I know. Again, the girl struggles with her addiction and it's uh, her demons. You've actually interviewed her in the past actually come to think of it I can't yeah. imagine the amount of people that I've interviewed and they've died you know I would hate to put a number yeah. on it oh my god but Neil sure I was talking to and if you don't mind me just saying this I was saying it in my own video there last night that I was talking to Leon You, I think you've interviewed Leon before as yeah. well passed away yeah I was talking yeah. yeah I was talking to his sister there um, about it last night and you know, for many years she tried to help him and save him as well, and it's that poisonous stuff, like you know. Um, so apparently, there could I well mean, be some very bad heroin during the rounds in the city because there are new gangs now coming and dealing. Is it looking for territory and trying to beat down the price? Is it? Absolutely, there is. Yeah, I've been saying this for the last number of years that the, that the heroin is a very bad situation in Cork. Um, but when you're trying to say it as well about the crack cocaine, and people are like, ah, no, no, there's no problem, there's no problem. Huh? Look, I'll go out there now and tell me that there's no problem. I mean, the guards are coming out saying that now, drugs counsellors, etc. Um, and okay. yeah, in terms of the, in terms of the territory, it's not Irish that are running it anymore. You might think it is, but it's not. I know, I know, I know. Before, okay. before, I know. So yeah, yeah, before it was the Irish. Uh, now there's um, uh, is the link through Dublin always? Yeah, I hear it is. Yeah, well, look, if you think about it for years, the. The main suppliers of drugs through Ireland was the Kinnahans and you know the whole you know the whole Kinnahan Hutch thing going on. But there was a new crowd took it over maybe a year, year and a half ago. Well, no, about a year and a half, two years ago, and they're from Dublin, they're called the family. They were um in the Sunday world the whole lot and they're one of the main suppliers now of heroin into Cork. And um but sure listen, Neil, the, 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 the some of the homeless have been used to transport drugs, to pay off drug debts, to feed their own you know, and the, you know the girl, you know the girl who was yeah. ODing, and I know you said you subsequently walked around and saw, let us describe zombie after zombie after zombie. But did anybody call an ambulance for her? They did. Yeah, uh, it was actually my friend Tara Hines. I was I was meeting Tara and Alan, and uh, Alan went over first, and then Tara went over and was chatting to her, and then there was a couple of students in all respect. Now, I don't know their names to thank them or nothing, but um, they stopped and they tried to intervene as well. Well, you know, assist, sorry. And they rang an ambulance. And so about, about half an hour later, the ambulance, about 20 minutes, half an hour later, the ambulance came up, up on the footpath and pulled up right beside where it was happening. And they just rolled down the window and, oh, do you need an ambulance? And she kind of, she was a little bit conscious at the time, so she said, no, no. And they just left it at that. Didn't get out the van, or sorry, didn't get out of the ambulance, just drove off. And you, you're and suggesting then, that wasn't good enough, is it? No, it's not good enough, right? But I just also would like to state as well that, I mean, the pressure that the frontline workers, and well, heroes, really, that's what they are um, during, this co- uh, during COVID especially. But like down in the Mercy, they've looked after the homeless for so many years, so you can't fault them. I'm saying that things are so bad now that it's the luck of the draw. Yeah. You know, what happened to that? What happened to that um, right. young girl? I'll be totally honest with you, Neil. I walked away, mate. I, I went home because the guards, after the ambulance left, 
about five or ten minutes after that, the guards that were standing at the pub noticed what was going on with that girl and came up and intervened. Right. So we kind of right. left them to do their job, didn't want to... All, again, I can I say, she, all I yeah. can say is she was maybe lucky this time. Would you agree? Absolutely. But that's just the thing, um, Neil. Come back to... Go back to I was saying about Leon there, like, and you know, he educated me actually a couple of years back on the Noxalin, you know, the pen, the adrenaline. Yeah. I know that he saved people and he's over, he's overdosed a couple of times. And I'm, again, not trying to upset anyone, but there's only, only so many chances you get. And he got his last chance. And I know, misfortune. No I know. But look how many, so many of them there, and there's young people as well. Why did you, why do you, why do you say things like tackle the obvious problem? I mean, what is the obvious problem? The obvious problem there, like, is that we don't have enough Gardaí, and then the health services. Then, I, uh, for example, ambulance services so much then are being caught up with these consistent and uh, multiple overdoses every day. You know, um, but why do so I many mean, start? You know, why do they start in the first place? It's a million dollar question. So, look, I was an addict myself, and I could give you a hundred one reasons why. You know. Um, but once it gets a grip on you, it's it's a totally I don't know, Neil. There's so there is help on offer. There is there more services needed? Of course there is, but there is. It's it'd be unfair to say that there is no help there. Okay. They're just not taking it, and, and you especially know, when you're going through homelessness. And I'm sorry, not obviously every person that's going through homelessness is an addict or an alcoholic because there's different demographics. But there's a blatant obvious problem for the last number of years, and it's getting progressively worse, and people are ignoring it. And as I said, I've been called all sorts of names, judgmental, this, that, and all the rest when you bring it up. No, but I think well, people aren't ignoring it. Problem. People aren't ignoring it exclusively. It's just they're becoming, yeah. it's becoming normalized. We were talking about that on the air. Yeah. It's just become yeah. normal to see and to witness. And this carry on then on Patrick Street with, I'm told, hundreds and hundreds of kids on, our, on a stampede. What was, what was that about? Well, that ha- there was some sort of an event there on Friday night outside the library. And I, again, it was all, a lot of them could Culture give credit night. to them. It wasn't all of them that was, you know, maybe been unruly or breaking bottles. Like, there was plenty, every couple of months in every couple of seconds, but you'd hear a smash of a glass or a bottle. Now, I didn't see a stampede, but I did see that there was some kind of a fight going on at one stage. But we were up, uh, as I said, up by the bridge. So we were only kind of looking down. So uh, I, I didn't get the full kind of just to what went on. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it's gone on all over the city. So look, as you're saying, like Ken O'Flynn was on about uh, what, what happened in them videos. I didn't see the one with the guy in the wheelchair, but I saw the one at the bridge. And guy I mean, dragged out of a wheelchair on Patrick Street and beaten and kicked on the ground. Another character supposedly took a machete from a pram on Mary Elms Bridge. Mother of God. No, oh, I, I don't think that was a machete either. Oh, that was some kind of a weapon, all right? But, well, call I mean, it what you want. Was it sharp? He was, he was hitting him with it. Oh, yeah. But sure, listen, one of the lads, and, and again, I was out for a friend. I, out for a friend. I was out for a walk today with my friend Tara, the same girl from the other night, and she proved this to you and confirmed this. One of the homeless lads was in an argument last night with another one of the lads, and his face is slashed in two places today. And uh, one side of his face is black and blue. Is that a knife or a you know, blade or what? Oh, a blade. You can see the you can see the slits. No, he got away with it. Lucky. No, they still made a gash. But you know, right above or right beneath the eye. I mean, this is you know, unless if it's me that's telling you, or if there's any of the great groups that are out there telling you, or just any general public, 
and then watch you see see the videos and they are shocking but there ah, could be a hundred of them thousand of them out there not everything is recorded people are just desensitized they're afraid they've lost faith in the guards they've lost faith in certain in, in the systems and again but why do the guards get why do the guards get criticized the guards don't give people drugs the guards don't start the fighting the guards don't give out the knives or the weapons or the blades they're just asked to no. clean up the mess Absolutely. Listen, look, I've had my own proclivities with one or two, but by and large, I think they're unappreciated because look what they're, you know, look what they have to face and what they go through. I just think there's, there's not enough uh, boots on the ground. Yeah, yeah. And if, you know, and if they are, they're not being utilised right. And another thing as well is certain CCTV in areas need to be either upped or improved. And people bitching on about, you know, uh, you know, data protection, this, that, and all the rest. But what the guards can't catch the cameras should, because it's an absolute jungle out there. Not everybody, give, not everybody gives out about data protection. You know, some people actually wouldn't oh, yeah, mind yeah, to see yeah. some um, some of the more modern types of uh, um, uh, cameras where they can identify yeah. people. You know, what's that? Uh, what is what is the term used for that kind of technology? Um, I think it's facial recognition. There you go. You're right on like the money. Facial recognition. Yeah. 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 No yeah. matter what, no matter what way you look at it, though, the more I'm hearing about the city, particularly at night, and not always at night, it's a bit of it's certainly turning into a major no-go area, isn't it? No, but it, you see, that's just it. There is a lot. Like there is, there is no escape. That there is a lot of violence. But to describe Cork as a no-go city isn't completely fair either, because there's a lot of great stuff there's a lot of you know I suppose like if you're a county during COVID has been hit hard you know there's a lot of great stuff going on positive stuff going on but it just there is seems to be a lot more of these pockets of extreme violence drugs um, sexual assaults all sorts of you know yeah. it's okay. just if, if and I think as well if guards and, and the city council a bit like the community policing that like if they just engage with the community more and really took it on board and, not, and some in some areas, not listen to one side of the story, just get the proper story. I mean, before COVID hit, we had, especially in our area, St. Luke's and Wellington Road, a couple of, every couple of months there was community meetings and you'd go there and it, it was great. You could, you know, express what was going on in the communities and everything and they took it on board. So more things like that, initiatives and, you know. I know. I've just been listening to that for decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. with all due respect and it hasn't made a blind oh, yeah. difference it seems to me, you know. But that's the thing is you're banging your head against the wall and it's like, it, you know, it's not. you can't say that it's not going on or it's not happening and people are scratching their head there going, how do we let that happen? How? You know, it's, it's, it's almost like blind ignorance really. Continued, so, continued um, best wishes to you on your work with the homeless though. Do stay in touch. Um, Sad and all, no and problem, depressing as the stories thanks. are. Cheers. Yeah, no matter what. Okay, take care. Take care, self. Right. Cheers. Bye. Bernard O'Hare. Um, actually, there's more knives and blades on Lisa now than ever before. Uh, Graham says there should be a mandatory five-year prison sentence for anyone caught with a concealed wife knife or weapon. Um, another one. I was attacked walking to a shop to get milk when I was 16. Stabbed in the leg. Kids, teenagers, or adults carrying knives is very dangerous. Um, I think each community in Cork should pull together to raise awareness about knives, knives and violence in general, uh, particularly regarding youth, and that may make a difference. Create opportunities through sport, for example, and different ideas to channel their energy will give kids more purpose in going on a more productive path. Uh, and I suppose that's more relevant now than ever before with the last 20 months, isn't it? 
uh, creating opportunities in sport in particular. Um, more people, including kids, should carry pepper spray and be taught and trained how to use it. Ireland has always been a few years behind England with kids acting the absolute plebs. Knife crime is on its way here if it hasn't arrived already, whether we like it or not. Start teaching your kids how to react to these situations. Uh, A few people who are carrying knives should be treated as if it was a gun. It's the same outcome if if attacked and hit in the wrong area. Also, I believe the judicial system needs to get better and a special juvenile centre for this kind of behaviour. It's very scary now uh, for kids and their parents. Uh, I can identify with the current stories you talk of. I was wild. I took drugs, was in treatment, was in jail, hospitalisation and everything that comes with it. I came from a very dysfunctional home. Around the time I got into drugs, I was bullied and it had a profound effect on me. It was the worst feeling in the world to be bullied. And I would say this was the big reason for me going wild. It was a form of self-protection. I think uh, that's what it was. And in a way, it was a way of dealing with the worthless feeling I had over being bullied. Um, Social media and drugs are the scourge of the country for young teens, children as well. The parents are lost as to what to do as children are being influenced by friends and others 24 hours a day. On top of that, you have normal issues that come with teens and teenagers. I'm not saying that all parenting are teens and teens, but I'm saying a lot of them, says Jerry. Well, if you look at the amount of time that people's heads are stuck in phones these days, they must be influenced by something. And one or two more ahead of the break. Most addicts have free travel because they pretend to their doctor that they're unable to work. They are prescribed the likes of Valium, Diazepam, Lyrica, Halcyon, all of these ultimately have a street value. And the likes of me buy them off them because we have genuine insomnia problems and can't get anything from the doctor. They get prescribed everything and sell them on. Uh, I won't go on air because I would be a snitch if I did. So don't call out my details. That's someone who genuinely has insomnia issues and buys from addicts. Uh, go try walk near St. Francis Church. We parked there yesterday and oh my God, there were so many dodgy people around. We were stopped twice for cigarettes and for money. There was a mixture of sinister Irish people and foreigners. I thought I would never get out of the city fast enough. Um, did you know that North Main Street used to be a really nice place? But not anymore. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. And it will come back to the state of our cities throughout the morning. And your thoughts are welcome. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. As always, text or WhatsApp 0868104106. But I did mention earlier on, yet another milestone is passed. Not so much with regards to us, but the US and how it affects us and the rest of the world. And from November, Irish people, there's 90% of Irish people now, people in the Republic who are now double jabbed and the Americans were made very much aware of that. It's not anything exclusive for us. They're opening up for an awful lot of other countries besides us in November. But I think the really great news is for people who have family in America or grandchildren, new babies, things like that, who for the first time in 20 months will be able to go visit because there are many, many people from Ireland and from Cork who have gone sometimes a lot long long time ago, sometimes not so long ago, and maybe in maybe the recent two or three years who had children over there that maybe grannies and grandparents had to see and never got to see. So I think it's great in that regard. Owen Corey is with Air and Travel Magazine on Facebook, joins me by phone. Owen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. W- would you agree that that's one of the great reasons to be able to go now? You know, not so much for your holidays, that's all very well, but families. 
Oh, absolutely. Bucket and spade is way down the priorities. Um, it's going to be reconnection time. Uh, the uh, the fury of the Irish grannies could be heard. Uh, the country that was uh, the ground was shaking uh, with the grannies of Ireland who hadn't seen their newly born grandchildren over the last eighteen months. And you put your finger on it: <clears throat> Americans could come here fully vaccinated come July. The wonder, Neil, is that this took so long. Why did it take so long? Were they not studying the rollout in Europe or what? Yeah, the rollout in Europe is terrific. I mean, it was a slow start and it's gone to 70%. Now it's sort of a model for the rest of the world. Uh, The rollout in Europe is only part of the story. 33 countries were on that list. 170 weren't, including countries that would be on the mandatory hotel quarantine list for Ireland, weren't uh, banned from going to the USA while we were. And uh, it does seem that, you know, COVID is one thing, but politics is another. And that may be what helped bring it to an end, Neil, because last Friday things were looking grim as ever. Uh, Boris Johnson was giving a private briefing saying he was going to raise this with Joe Biden this week about because the UK is subject to the same restrictions we were. And he was had no indication that things were going to change so dramatically. Could Micheál Martin call it as his success in the sense no, that he went, um, no. You know, nobody, no, none of the Irish policy. I mean, what, we, what was supposed to happen, okay, in the world that we were looking at in July the 19th, Europe had opened, uh, fully vaccinated was the way forward. Everyone had that little blue thing on their phone with the, the COVID cert. Things were moving again. We expected the USA to align. Uh, Europe did a great deal with America. The fully vaccinated Americans could come here. And uh, unlike the dissimilar deal they did with China, there was no reciprocity built in. In other words, we expected America to open September the 7th. Uh, listeners will, who have relatives in Canada will know exactly what happened. Canada opened. Yeah. America didn't on September the 7th. Now, we don't really know. There was foot dragging. There was a bit of politics. And what really probably happened at the weekend has nothing to do with COVID. It's to do with the submarine deal in Australia. America just found itself fighting uh, too many European spats at the same time. And this was an easy way to relieve <laughs> because, a lot of them. Why? Because they said, we're not taking the French subs, we're taking the American ones instead, is it? The Aussies. Is no, that the, the reason? British. It's the British ones. Uh, it's the British ones. Sorry. And it's, it, it, the French have thrown uh, an absolute wobbly. Recall their ambassador. All the, US, the European leaders, including Macron, are arriving in, in New York this week. Joe Biden will be meeting them there for the, uh, the United We can thank Nations. a submarine contract for all this then. Well um, done, Owen Corey. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It, it was too many spots. I mean, <laughs> it was basically... Uh, when you've got all of Europe uh, shouting at you at the same time, somebody <laughs> in the White House said, uh, OK, what can we do to calm the noise down here and stop the dogs barking? And this was the easiest one to pull out of the barrel. And it caught everyone by surprise. It caught the heads of state by surprise, caught the airlines by surprise. Uh, Jen Psaki, that wonderful White House press secretary, I don't know, and she's certainly worth tuning into uh, for listeners at six o'clock in the evening just to see her performing. But she uh, said a few weeks ago it wasn't going to change. And one of the crankiest tweets, uh, Dan Mulhall, Ireland's ambassador in Washington, is a terrific man and very, very diplomatic and never gets cross about anything, but something as uh, approaching uh, a, a, a cross tweet uh, came from him that night and four European countries start, uh, put a slapped a ban on non, uh, non-essential non travel from America. Europe looked at this American policy. There was a lot of anger there. I read so, something at the weekend that somebody was suggesting we need to ban Americans if they don't cop themselves on letting us in. So all of that was working against them, wasn't it? 
yeah, and Ireland came out straight away and said there's going to be no change in policy. We're going to allow the vaccinated uh, Americans in. But four American, four European countries said, lads, you're not playing ball. Uh, we're going to, not going to let you in either. So, you know, it was th- these things don't matter in America. Your foreign policy uh, got really, really, really diverted because people, um, you know, like Jake Sullivan, who's very Irish from Minnesota, uh, at the heart, he was at the heart of the Hillary Clinton, he's at the heart of the Joe Biden administration. Mm-hmm. He was uh, giving briefings saying, uh, we're going to go solve this, we're going to let the Mar- Europeans in. But then Kabul happened and he got diverted. So every time it looked like it was going to be, when it looked like it was going to be solved, something completely unrelated to COVID threw it off track. Nice. And when it looked like it was lost, something completely off, uh, unrelated to COVID, which was that submarine. Something deal, underwater. Now, uh, for thousands of Irish families underwater. who haven't reunited, that's one thing. And then, of course, there's the prospect of winter holidays in the likes of Florida. I'm reading from the mail yeah, this morning. Absolutely. But straight away, you have the airlines rowing in and Aer Lingus are promising uh, all sorts of seat sales at 149 euro each way. Uh, do you believe all of that? Because I remember six months ago, the likes of Ryan are saying, oh, you know, if you want to go on a sun holiday, you need to book early because there won't be a lot of seats and flights will go through the roof. And they didn't. Supply and demand, um, you, you know, their, their supply at the moment is a trickle. Um, they, that's all that reconnection, all of that is going to fill those seats. So those, fair, those uh, fares uh, are going to drift upwards. But you've got to remember that the North Atlantic route is the cash cow for major airlines. British Air, the IAG, the shares in the IAG, which owns both British Airways and Aer Lingus, went up 11% in an hour after the announcement yesterday. It's the cash cow, it's the way of making money back, the money they lost. And Aer Lingus will be looking to get all of those routes. Now, we remember, we have basically three, Boston, Chicago, New York, they've been there since our childhood, Neil. Washington, D.C. returned in August. Um, but there are, were 16 other routes that Aer Lingus was running, places like Minneapolis, Seattle, uh, Miami, Orlando, Los Angeles, and the key one to San Francisco, which is a big tech route. They're going to have to get those. Yeah, they're back. saying 259 each way to the West Coast and 149 each way to New York or Boston. Uh, do, do you think that's accurate? Yeah, absolutely. They will, t- they will try and stimulate that because you're dealing with also a reluctance to travel. You're dealing with uh, persuading the public that uh, it's time to get back traveling in the sort of numbers or close to the numbers we did in 2019. And um, airlines are, you know, there'll be a sort of a rush of people in the first few weeks. But those seats, uh, if they're going to be filled, you're going to do a little bit of persuading. And obviously, uh, when a small number of seats go up at those, not, not, a, not an insubstantial, it's not one seat per plane or anything like that. A small number of si- uh, seats will go on sale at the lower fares and then it drifts It'll upwards. drift upwards. Mind you, you'll be five really hours with a mask on, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, but that'll happen. What, is there a date in November for that? No, we've no date. We've no, and the other really important thing, Neil, and it's a big question for us because uh, one, one in six, exactly 6.6% of us are, are vaccinated with AstraZeneca. It's not recognised in the United States. We've no indication from the USA. I think they said they anything that's recognised by the, the World Health Organisation, Owen, didn't they? The Americans said if uh, well, it's, it's, it's who recognised. As, it's, as it stands, AstraZeneca not recognised. The other ones are. It is recognised by Canada. Now, there was suggestions yesterday that uh, they would recognise AstraZeneca, but when she was asked at the White House briefing last uh, yesterday, uh, Jen Psaki 
parked that question. I do expect it to happen, but we've no opening date. We've no clarity on AstraZeneca, and we've also no clarity on other uh, other issues like the PCR tests and things like that. They they've tightened some of those. Oh, you have to be double jabbed, like or had proof of COVID, didn't you? Don't you? I mean, and and you and you need a PCR test as well if you're double jabbed. Uh, going to America, yeah, and yeah. that only applies obviously to their own return citizens are the green card holders at the moment but uh, we don't know what will happen in November and as I say we've no opening date lots to play for but the really great news is the thing, uh, it's happened it's been announced and as the wonder is it took so long but let's celebrate that we got it in the end Good stuff, good stuff as always Listen Owen, thanks for taking the call, appreciate All it as always news. Thank you. The one and only Owen Corey Air and Travel Magazine on Facebook but as to whether people will travel or not, well well, that's another story entirely. You'll be five hours masked up and then you got to ask yourself the question, do you want to be in big cities with uh, lots of people whose rollout maybe isn't as advanced as ours? And there are still countries around the world where there's a major, uh, I, I think there, there is an element of it here, but other countries very much more so where there is a major standoff between those who are vaccinated and those who are not. I think America is one of them. France is certainly another. Text 0868104106 on that one. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. And my apologies, I didn't see this yesterday. Uh, I hope it's today. Um, it's a text that came in overnight. It may well have been yesterday. But any chance of a happy birthday to my dad, Wally O'Connell from Winters Hill. What a beautiful address, Winters Hill. 91 years old and listens to the show every day. So I, I may be a day late, Wally. But happy birthday all the same, pal. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. And you can text 0868104106, which is exactly what uh, Bob did. Bob, good morning. Good morning, uh, Neil. Uh, lovely chatting with you. Um, you are looking for love and a lifelong partner, and you're doing a lot of work to try and find somebody, aren't you? Online, I believe, yeah. isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and course, uh, you're 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 checking sites all around the world, I believe. Tell us a little bit about no, that. No, 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 no. Just around Cork and County and Dublin but, and Galway. Yeah, but you're so you're curious about the dating websites, is it? Yes, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And have you engaged with any of them? Once, and I found out then that uh, you have to buy these coins, or you have to sign up. But all these websites are coming in from. Denmark, Turkey, yeah. Cyprus. Yeah. I just want to stop all the all the men that are so stupid. There's some lovely ladies here in Cork, but when you go up to them and you say, "Well, I need a friend for my I need a friend for my other friend Mary," we just use as a synonym a name, you know. Before we can do go anywhere, or go for a cup of tea, or go for a sandwich, or go for this. You approach them and say, what? Uh, that you're looking for a friend? For a friend, yeah. Or, you know, pro- progressing, hopefully, to yeah. something more. Yeah. yeah. You know. Do they chat to you? Oh, they, they chat to you back. They're sending you all these messages and you, you go in. But I just won't, I won't touch again because I had my... You know, my fingers burnt. Okay, let's just deal with that aspect of it. The um, the one, the sites that you pay money for—they look for credit card numbers and things. Is it? Are you, yes, you have to purchase yeah. coins that you know uh, online you coins? Got a credit card. Yeah, I you, have a credit card, but I, there's no way that I put it into this the machine. So, but have you actually spent money online? 
only with the bit, not the, they're not bitcoins now. Don't be getting people it, confused with bitcoins. Yeah, they're yeah. not that. You just have to buy enough coins. And then you go online and chat, is it? No. You you text in the details and you text where you're from and you text where they're from and they tell you, but you just don't know whether or not they're telling you the absolute God's What truth. do they tell you then, having paid your money? Well, I'm age 61 is one, region Cork, city, body type average, marital status, divorced, transportation car, eye coloured brown, hair colour blonde, tattoos, no, piercing, no, yeah. smoker, yes. Yeah. That's it. And then what they're into, I'm not going to say it over the air. Is that they're what they're into sex-wise, is it? Yes, okay. yeah. Okay, okay. And then, do you get a response to that? I'm getting I'm getting hundreds of emails in, but I've, I've cancelled my application. And what are the emails, tell us a bit, like, what are they about? Looking for more money, is it? Well, you can't answer. You get you get three texts for one ninety nine oh euro one ninety nine. Oh but that's that, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, the, there's somebody cleaning up somewhere. Yeah, and they're cleaning up by taking money off you, the likes of your good self. That's why. Yeah, it's not. Le- I'm a, I'm they're a, not legit. Like, clearly, they're not legit. You know, they're just a well, way of making money off you. And there yeah, probably the no, like there's probably no real people behind them at all. It's just a computer program um, that's just answering you. Bots, they call it. There's not even real right. people texting you, pal, or t- typing. You know, there isn't. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'd stop. There's what was that? Myflingnearby.com. Is that one of them out of Denmark? Is it? Yes. No, yeah. they only they only want to send you. They're probably sending you sexy pictures, so you'll pay more money. I'd say. Are they? Well, that's it. That's another nah. thing. That's a shame, you know. Yeah. What about yeah. what about free apps like Plenty of Fish or Tinder? They used to be, but now they've gone into the market as well that you have to sign up. You have to sign up and pay so much. And it's been difficult to socialize over the past 20 months or so, hasn't it? So that's been hard, but like w- would you ever it's been just hard over the um over the com- the COVID-19? Yeah. Yeah. But now that we're coming out of this, we wonder, are we going to be hit with another load? Uh, oh, this is an interesting site. We try this. I stay away from all of those, Bob. You're just wasting well, your stay, money, I you know. I stay away from them, but I'm just trying to stop other men being, um, what's the, compromised. I know, yeah. I think anywhere where, you're pump, anywhere where you're pumping money in and you're waiting for emails to come back from around the world... It's a scam, pal. No, it really... this is only just in Cork City and County now. But you're, like, you're getting nothing back from it. I mean, what kind of lady are you looking to meet? A genuine lady. A genuine lady that's honest and truthful and trustful. And what would you like to do? Go for a cup of coffee, a drink, a bit of food, a walk? Whatever. But not into the pubs. Not the because pubs? You get... No, because you, you meet one, two, and you go in... You might have one or two scoops and uh, next all of a sudden you see two lovely girls. One is talking to a guy. The other girl is, uh, how would you put it? Um, have you got a friend for my my friend, Mary? And maybe we can hook up with you. I'm well out of the dating game. I can't even follow that. I, I mean, I don't right. like, you just organize to meet somebody in a safe place and you're, you know, you sit down and you have a chat. 
Yeah. You know? It's, like, it's just... You mean that when I you meet someone, understand. they bring somebody else along with them, is it? For, maybe maybe it's for security, I don't yeah, know. Or, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you can't you know, be too I careful. Know, what, what, what are our guys going to do all the time? Like, are we going to attack these girls? No. Cle- clearly not. No, no. I mean, no, you're, you're, gen- you're genuine. genuine. Are, you, are you lonely? Well, my, my partner died um, nine, ten years ago. I have a, I have a beautiful daughter and I have five or six grandchildren all together. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just uh, I'm at an age now where I'm not looking to go out and just meet anybody. I'm looking for a genuine partner. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, you're early, early 60s, 61 and it's not... It's you know it's at the best old, of, eh? no it's not but at the best of times it's hard to meet somebody but as you get older of course it does get dip, tougher because your your social outlets are more limited I suppose to an extent you know you know well, but then are, you yeah. could you could have another thirty forty years on the clock why not have a partner <laughs> well <laughs> I have to laugh now Neil because it's uh, I know you have, you say on the clock but uh, you know. <laughs> you, n- you never know. <laughs> so an honest truth, what, an honest truth from some of these sites, though. No, I'm not not interested. I'm not interested. Not they're all I'm scams, man. Yeah, they're all scams. Yeah. They're all scams. So an honest truthful trust. Not at all. Let's see if uh, we get some more calls on it on the back of it. An, an honest, truthful, trustful lady, uh, not necessarily interested in going to pubs, but a coffee or a date. Um, yeah. You, you like. Uh, uh, you know, you no. I mean, I'm not going to get into tall or small, blondes or brunettes. None of that matters in the world anymore. Sure, doesn't? It's just a nice no. person. But you have to, you have to have kind of someone that's your own size, like not why a tall six foot. Not why not? A tall six foot. Why? Why does that matter? We'd be, we'd be looking up at her to see. Can we see her? Yeah, but if you needed something from a tall shelf, she'd get it down for you. <laughs> if you need a light bulb change, she'll do it for you. <laughs> All right, come back after 10. Hang in there, Bob. Listen, thanks for the call, lad. Text 0868104106. Anybody got thoughts or comments? Back after 10. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sports every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench. Every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Cork's Red FM, officially Ireland's music station of the year. Another quick shout out, actually. You know the band Sparkle, Caroline and Jen. They played in studio here a couple of weeks back. Well, uh, Sparkle, the band, or at least Jen, one half of the band, posted yesterday that Caroline was in a very serious car accident and will be out of action for a while until she heals and gets well. I guess they've had to cancel gigs, but what's important now is that Caroline makes a full recovery and takes time to do so. So I want to give her a shout out and wish her well and a speedy recovery so she can get back to her life in gigging. Uh, and hope that, um, you know, that uh, the injuries aren't too serious and that you will make a full recovery. So good morning to Caroline and to Jen from the band Sparkle. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. You can text 0868 Be very aware, say, the likes of somebody in their 60s who's online and might not, say, for instance, be as savvy as somebody of a much, of a much younger generation who understands the trials and the worries and the tribulations and the temptations of the online world, if, particularly if you're lonely or looking for a partner and you might end up spending money on a, a website where they're claiming that they'll match you up with somebody in your locality, but that website is probably somewhere in Eastern Europe or could be anywhere in the world. And they're literally, you know, they ask you for your statistics and your likes and your dislikes and who you're looking for and you end up paying money. 
and and that's the end of it. You know, like they just—it's completely automated. There's nothing behind it whatsoever except a money-making machine. And some people can be naive about these things, so it's important to warn people in that regard that uh, you know what you see isn't necessarily the real McCoy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, lines open, text 0868104106. What you see being the real McCoy, though, was certainly Wally the Walrus. And he's gone now. He has left us. Apparently a photographer above in Iceland took a photograph of him. He's heading back Arctic way, apparently, uh, the male walrus uh, Wally. And he gave us a lot of laughs uh, over the summer, but a lot of boat owners, a lot of headaches. But apparently he's heading home. So as we say goodbye to Wally, I said I'd check in again with Padraig Hooley from the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group because I spoke to him on a number of occasions. He kept us up to date on Wally's wanderings over the past few months and he joins me. He joins me by phone. Padraig, good morning. Good morning, Neil. All right, so he's heading home. In fairness to him, he never never lost his sense of direction or navigational skills. People were worried that he might have at one stage. And uh, it's bye-bye Wally, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is the story that just keeps giving, isn't it? I mean, uh, they say every good story has a beginning, a middle and an end. And for us, this story commenced uh, off Valencia Island uh, on off Kerry on uh, March the 14th. And it's just been, uh, I think saga is the appropriate word to use, given the Icelandic connection. I mean, I, I think we said when we spoke last, uh, back in sort of August, when he was uh, sinking boats in West Cork, uh, about the, the track lines to us always suggested that he had, his navigation was was perfect. Because, I mean, if you're lost, say you're lost in the forest, you're just going around in circles, you you know, and you're banging off trees and you haven't a clue. And it's very easy to look at the track lines and go, yeah, that dude is completely lost. He's just going around. He's going nowhere fast. (laughs) Whereas this animal... His track line all the way down through through the UK, down to Atlantic French coast, down into the northern Spain, uh, and then all the way back w- was very systematic and suggested to us that this animal was not lost, and actually he was probably more just exploring. And, and now, when you think about it, he, he left Crookhaven in West Cork on. August the 30th, and then just completely went off the radar. We had assumed that he'd be picked up along the Kerry Coast, Clare, Galway, Mayo, as he pushed up to Donegal, and then he'd make a final leap off Malinhead area in northern Donegal, and he'd probably turn up in Iceland. Instead, he's done all that using what seems to be Crookhaven as his base, so it is entirely possible that he has taken a really long open water ocean swim, and you know, two nights ago he turned up in place called HOFN, which apparently in Icelandic is pronounced up. Uh, and that's on the southeast coast of Iceland. It took him, what, 18 or 19 days at sea kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, if you imagine Iceland is Ireland, it would be kind of Wexford uh, area that he turned up in. <laughs> so it was 19 days he disappeared. Now, of course, he was at sea for 19 days. And of course, it's very likely that, you know, it's later in the year now, the kids are back in school, there's less boats around. So it is entirely probable that as he travelled up the West Coast, that he did, of course, haul out on remote offshore islands or yeah. the Arn Islands or some little remote coast uh, in the, off the Mayo Coast before he took. So we're not saying for a moment that he actually swam direct from Crookhaven to Iceland. It's very likely that during that 19-day period that he did come ashore to haul out. Uh, it's just that he didn't, there wasn't a big fuss about it because the kind of stuff we're into autumn now yeah. and there'd be fewer people around and fewer boats around. I hope he's not sinking any boats down up Iceland way, no? 
Well, the Icelandic, well, we haven't heard that he is. Uh, mind you, in, in, in one or two of those pictures, we did see that the Icelandics were throwing him a lot of fish. Of course, walruses don't eat fish. So, <laughs> you were uh, telling me so that, yeah. Because I, I said to you one stage, you might have been following shoals of fish. You said, nah. Yeah, well, they, they feed on the likes of crustaceans or scallops or mussels or that sort of thing. So they're not really fish eaters. Uh, those, those big tusks would not be conducive to catching fish. But listen, he, he's gone a long way. It's a great story. He's, he's gone. I would say he's well broken the back on his journey uh, to, to, to the Arctic, uh, to Arctic waters. I mean, Iceland, the very northern tip of Iceland uh, is within the Arctic Circle, you know. And we were there back in 2018 during the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group Humpback Whale Survey up there and we didn't see a single walrus. So walruses even in Icelandic waters are quite rare. I know whale researchers up in Iceland and in 20 years they've seen one walrus. Uh, So they are rare there. So that combined with the fact that the the blemishes on his flipper do mark up leaves us absolutely confident that this is indeed uh, our, our walrus. So what it needs to do now is get up to northern Iceland which is about you know, three or four hundred kilometers, and then it needs to head northwest. And do you think that the people of Iceland are are having the same kind of excitement now that we had across the summer? I, I doubt it. You know, we we tend to get quite agitated and animated about wildlife, and then you know, you've you've got welfare people start losing the run of themselves regarding building pontoons and sofa beds and all that sort of hoo ha. <laughs> but you know, the Icelandics would take a very pragmatic approach. I mean, the Icelandics are ostensibly still a whaling nation. Uh, they're you know they're they're still in theory killing minke whales every year, but they've never really in modern times anyway. They've never hunted. Uh, they've never hunted walruses in modern times. Or Although historically, going back over a thousand years, there was a North Atlantic population of walruses that had been extinct now for over a thousand years. And it's taught that the Icelandics way back during ancient times did actually uh, wipe out those walruses. But, you know, the Icelandics are very pragmatic about wildlife and, you know, they they won't do anything to injure this animal uh, at all. He's in in good company there, you know. And, you know, Iceland... Um, outside the tourist season is a very remote area, so he's 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 well on his way to heading back to Arctic uh, to Arctic waters. But the, there's a twist to this story because as we speak, there is a walrus, a female walrus, in the Netherlands. Now, if that walrus continues her track south uh, and comes out through the Dover Straits between France and England, and then decides to hang a rise, well, within 48 hours of that happening, that walrus could be back off the Waterford coast again. So here we go. We have another walrus in northern Europe that is hundreds, if not thousands of kilometers away from where it should be. So this is what we were saying when we spoke to you the last time. There is a trend in increasing numbers of these Arctic vagrants ending up uh, in the... Maybe Wally was looking for her or she was looking for him and they just didn't manage to hook up and he gave up and went home. That's a great story, all right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we, we need to see the evidence for it. But listen, uh, you know, it's just another trend that, you know, these animals are exploring outside their expected range uh, and they're ending up in odd places. And again, it's important that citizens 
members of the public, reportees to the established recording schemes such as that one run by the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group because that's the best way for us to track these animals. Nice and, it, and it is amazing because it gives us a wonderful overview when members of the public report these sightings. Uh, it gives us a great overview as to how these animals are using our waters. And at the moment, the waters in West Cork are just teeming with whales. It's been quiet for the last couple of weeks, but we've got humpback whales back now here in West Cork waters and fin whales and loads of dolphins. So the marine biodiversity down here at the moment, in particular in West Cork waters, is absolutely world class. And we've even got some decent weather as well. So uh, just we can all forget about Wally the Walrus for a while and focus on uh, on uh, on the more normal wildlife that we have in, in, in local Cork waters. It is absolutely amazing and it's great to see such um, fantastic marine wildlife uh, and it may only be a matter of time before we have another walrus well, up and wait. let's wait and see if that happens. Watch that space for details but there's still a lot of exploring to be done down around the West Cork coast. Podrick, thank you so much again and you never know when we might chat again next but appreciate it for now. Podrick Holy, right. the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. Um, uh, so while he's on his way home he travelled to places like Valencia and then over to Wales. He went from Wales to Cornwall and then over to France and then down to Spain and around Spain, down around Santander came back by the Sillies then and over into Waterford again and Cortmac and Clon and Roaring Water Bay and Mizzen and then off to Iceland. As soon as he gets home now, I hope he gives us a five-star trip advisor review. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Thank you, Tom. Got a letter from Tom in, a long-term resident up around uh, the College Road area, Connacht Avenue area. Says another week comes to a conclusion um, and serious questions need to be be asked about the behaviour of UCC students in all areas. We go from Freshers Week into Sophomore Week because last year's Freshers didn't get to party. So now it's their turn, he's saying. Um, anyway, he talks about the behaviour of UCC students in all areas adjacent to the university. And Tom says the local resident, residential population were subjected to house parties, roaring, screaming, howling like banshees, drinking and urinating on the street, large gatherings on the streets, bangers being set off from public roads at one o'clock in the morning. We had a rough summer as it was with blagarding widespread, especially at weekends. As a community, we were held to ransom during lockdown last year with all-day drinking in vogue in Canty's Field during this period, then into the houses for more drinking. It would appear we have another so-called Freshers' Week coming up shortly. In simple terms, another glorified piss-up. It is high time the university took action and stopped hiding behind data protection. Uh, The Landlord Brigade need to lay down house rules when renting their properties. And finally, we need proper laws in place and proper law enforcement. It's a very large percentage of the student population who are misbehaving, not a small minority, who some people might suggest. I am disgusted here as a long-term resident. And of course, it's been claimed, and rightly so for many, many years, that everybody has kind of a soft white glove approach when it comes to students at UCC or CIT because they're just that, college students. So they seem to be treated differently if it were anyone else or somebody from another side of the track or whatever you like uh, to call it. But what we do know, and thank you for that, Tom, what we do know is that things do appear to be going from bad to worse. Well, there are many positives about the city and, of course, It looks beautiful during the day and if the sun is shining and you're in the city and you're doing a bit of outdoor dining or having a coffee or whatever, there's no more beautiful place to be. But at the same time, the underbelly of it has become very, very apparent to me. And of course, we had um, uh, another meeting yesterday of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee. 
And on that committee, of course, we do have some TDs, um, as well as senators. Now, what you need to know is that theft is up. Unauthorised taking of vehicles is up. Harassment is up in the city. Stalking threats are up in the city. Menacing phone calls are up. Sexual assault is up. Public order offences are up. The possession of drugs is up uh, for supply and dealing. That's up. Also, the possession of drugs for personal use is up. Traffic collisions are up. Driving under the influence of drugs and alcohol, all up. In fact, uh, the Fine Gael Senator Jerry Buttermer, um, and this isn't a direct quote, but when you look at what he was saying, he was saying words to the effect that the grottiness of areas of the city now has led to a creeping of antisocial behavior, behavior, behavior. He calls areas of the city grotty and it almost kind of cloaks and allows an increase in antisocial behavior. What we also heard was that um, the amount of people toting and carrying knives around is up. How do we know that? Because the Gardaí have seized more of them. Apparently, one of the reasons why they've seized more knives on Leaside is because they have stop and search. And Anne Murphy in the Echo this morning says the high number of knives seized in Cork is a result of uh, a concentrated effort by the Gardaí on stopping and searching people and taking knives from them. Sometimes it's knives, sometimes it's blades, sometimes it's adapted ones, even sometimes it can be swords and scabbards. So it's not good in any way, shape or form. And they're saying one thing that could go a long way to sorting out at least some of the problems, because some people are just completely and utterly out of it on drugs and alcohol and have serious addiction issues. And that is uh, the long-discussed and much-discussed and long-fingered um, drug injection needle facility where there could be a walk-in injection centre where people could just go in and uh, inject in safety. And that was discussed yesterday, actually. Uh, I want to be talking about that and another couple of topics, actually, with uh, Sinn Féin TD, Donnick O'Leary, who was at that. He joins me by phone. Donnick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, on the basis of everything I've just said there, how would a walk-in drug injection centre make anything better when it comes to the stats and the criminality that I've just listed there from Cork City? Okay, so there's a few things that we're talking about there, and I don't think that they're all the same thing, right? So I suppose see this thing about crottiness, and there is an issue around dereliction. Um, I'm not sure it's necessarily leading to an increase in crime, but what it does mean is that there are families out there who are trying to get a home, and this is creating problems for them. And it does mean that there are parts of our city, you know, important parts of our city, the historic spine of our city, that is not as vibrant and strong as it should be. And what I think needs there is, and this is about, I suppose, primarily for me anyway, it's about housing and it's about property and it's trying to get life back into parts of the city uh, and improving how those parts of the city work. And we can all think of, you know, the historic spine of the city, so North Main Street in one in particular. I know there's a lot of businesses doing good work there uh, and the place is improving, but there's still significant problems around de- dereliction and things like that. And a young woman held to ransom off Grattan Street in a little flat there by drug dealers who are writing RIP and threatening to kill her in the inner city, yeah, for instance. I, I, listen, absolutely, and there are very serious issues around crime, but what I, I suppose what I'm saying is the issues around dereliction, I suppose, aren't necessarily the same as the issues around crime. Tissues around crime are about care of visibility, and we had that discussion there yesterday. And I suppose this is some a, a, a drum that I've been beating for for quite some time now. Um, I think for four or five years, Cork nearly every time is promised that they will get new guards from every cop that comes over Temple Mall. But first of all, Temple Mall was closed for three or four years, and every time we're passed over for Dublin, for Drogheda, for Limerick, and we get scraps and bits and pieces. There was, I, I, like, I mean, and there was probationers, if you recall, last Christmas, there was talk of a big increase, and I was a bit sceptical that time. I welcomed it, you know, like, I mean, the new probationers would have been welcome uh, at the time. But sure enough, just as we predicted, those pr- 
probationers. When their probation was done, they ended up serving their permanent post elsewhere, and the numbers in in Cork. Where now. do they, Where do they go? Is it Is it Dublin? I'm not sure precisely. I like it's a very good chance, but I'm not sure precisely. But I know for a fact that you know at the time there was signal there's a big increase. But I know that there are some guard stations that are a guard or two down from where they were this time last year. Carrigaline, I know, is one for a fact. I'd say it's very possible that some of the guard stations in and around the city centre are in a similar situation. So, look, you have a lot of guards out there who are doing the best that they can. But if there's an incident in the city centre and it requires three, four, five Gardaí to respond to it, then that means that the rest of the city, uh, there's very few Gardaí covering it. So what we need... and look, But much of that in the city can be traced back to drugs or alcohol, can't it? Uh, Or pills or tablets or all sorts of stuff that people are taking and injecting. Well, listen, like, I mean, that is definitely a feature. There's no doubt about it. And obviously, alcohol and drug use can lead to uh, can lead to crime. But I suppose some of it is, you know, some people don't need drugs or alcohol to be bad or vicious or dangerous or anything like that, or indeed to be malicious and stealing bikes and stealing from shops. Uh, some people, you know, there are people who uh, who will do that kind of thing anyway. And like, I mean, look, I mean, we were talking about the increase in seizures of knives there in um in, in, in a big like I mean I think a threefold or, or threefold increase I think it was I don't have the numbers just in front of me over the past four or five years and like I mean one thing I said at the meeting yesterday is like we need a very strong signal to go out here we need to be very vocal there is no excuse like some people some people are carrying knives might tell it's for self defence that's rubbish that is rubbish altogether it's a cowardly act it is only going to make things worse uh, it is only there is no situation that won't be made worse by the presence of a knife and you know the presence of a knife means that it is more likely to get used than what's the self defence argument about is it because they are oh, they're rival gangs is it and they're oh, afraid they'll come up against some other characters Look, it might be something like that, but I look. I, I don't think half of these people believe it themselves. I think it's bravado, mostly. Like you know, um, there is no excuse for it. There is no excuse whatsoever. And I think it needs to be when sentencing is handed down. Uh, the presence of a knife needs to be an aggravating factor. It needs to be taken into account by the judge because I think. But why then can't it be a made a crime that if you're caught carrying a knife, you'll go to jail? I mean, they did that in Glasgow, and it and um, it, it completely cleaned up the city, and that had an awful reputation, apparently. I'm not sure that you can't be put to jail for it, Neil, but I, I'd have no, to No, just back. possession of a knife, not use of it, just possession, just having it. I, I'm not sure, like, I mean, I think it's one of those ones that might depend on how often maybe somebody had been in that situation before, but I'd have to go back and check that, Neil. I'm not sure that it isn't the case, but look, like, I mean, I would be of the view that like, there are circumstances where that should be, so that, where that should carry a custodial sentence. I'll go back and consult the legislation here now. Uh, I'm actually hoping to get up with the Minister for Justice this week. In any event, there's a guard bill up, there's a number of things that I'm hoping How will that medically supervised drug infect, in, 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 that drug injecting facility work in the city? Because there's a lot of division on that, as you're probably aware. There is, of course, yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose this was an issue raised by, uh, like, I mean, I'm aware of the fact that there's controversy in relation to this. It's an issue that was raised by the Chief Executive and, and the, the Lord Mayor. Um, look, I mean, I suppose the evidence does seem to show that if you can bring drug users uh, into, like, you know, look, ideally, do you want people in the situation where they're using these drugs? Of course, you don't. And I suppose your first objective is to try and reduce the amount of people who are who are using uh, drugs, and particularly hard drugs, uh, that are intravenous and, and that involve injection. But the reality is, is that people are going to uh, be on drugs for, for 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 the foreseeable. It's going to continue to be a fact of life. So, I mean, I suppose, do you want them to be doing that in 
public toilets out on the street or do you want it to be in a place that's safe and supervised and monitored and where their health is safeguarded and the health and welfare and safety of the city is safeguarded. Now, in going to do that, you need to be very careful and you need, well, you need to be, I suppose, very conscious of how you plan that. It needs to involve consultation with the public. The location needs to be suitable. You need to engage with all the safeguards. But in principle, is it something that has a role to play in making the city uh, safer, uh, in making life safer for those uh, uh, who are, I suppose, addicted to drugs? Uh, yes, I believe it does. Is it the uh, is it the be all, the end all? It isn't. And I think the key issue here is in relation to guard resources and guard visibility on our street. Yeah, but we have uh, like 13, 1,400 guards across the city and county. Is is that not enough, no? You're saying that we need, what, 2,000, 1,600, 80? How many? We have 714 not, guards yeah. in Cork City. Yeah, I'm not sure I could... Like, I mean, I... Does that, that I mean, sound like a lot of guards to you? Well, like, I mean, give me, like, I mean, give me the number again. Was it 1,300 for across a population? 714 for Cork City, 335 for Cork North, yeah, and 301 for, for West. Yeah, 714 for a population of, well, I, just, I suppose the Cork City area now is about 220,000. Like, I mean, I, I don't actually think that is a lot, to be honest. No? Neil. No, no, I don't think it is. Like, I mean, there are certainly areas where um, there are... No, that's supers, inspectors... Uh, you know, desk sergeants, like everybody. I'm not saying that 714 of them are out in squad cars around the beat. I mean, no. that's just the whole queue. Well, like, I mean, I suppose the other thing about it, Neil, like, I mean, I suppose one of the things that we've been arguing for as well is that, like, there's a lot of work that happens in the guard stations that I don't need to know that you need a fully trained enlisted guard uh, to be behind the desk there doing them. Like, I think that we need to seriously ramp up the amount of civilians who work in guard stations so that they can be doing the... Or you could have a load of guards working on particular cases that take days or weeks, whatever, in court, for instance, and things like that. You do, you do, and then you have drug, uh, you have prisoner transport and all that kind of stuff as well. So are there duties that we can free up guards? No, I would like to see more guards. That's a simple fact, to be honest with you, because most stations uh, are still only at... Uh, some of the big stations are up a bit because we've been seeing an increase in specialist guardy. But most of the ordinary guard stations around our neighbourhoods and in our towns are in and around 2010 levels or in some instances lower, right? So, like, we've never really fully covered from the uh, closure of Templemore. And Cork, as I say, has fared worse than other major urban centres, the the Dublins, the the Limericks, and indeed Drogheda as well. They have drawn the additional resources. I look to be, I've had disagreements and I've had caused, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, criticise the, the Gardaí in Cork at various stages but I do recognise the fact that they're doing the best with the resources they have I said that at the meeting the last day um, I believe that they're working very very hard and have some excellent community Gardaí but, as but say, the chief said just because you don't see guards on the street doesn't mean there isn't one nearby but yet people all of the time say they want to see them on the streets they do and like all the evidence shows that it's the biggest the biggest deterrent to crime is guard visibility. There's no question about that, uh, and you know it's the it doesn't need to be very oppressive or very dramatic, but it's the confidence that you get from walking around the city and seeing the guard on the bikes feeling past and seeing one or two guards a bit. And you're in on. Dublin a lot. Would you see a lot more guardy about? Um. I suppose that's, yeah, like, I mean, I think you would in certain parts of the city, um, you potentially would. Like, I mean, obviously, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a significantly bigger city. I, I think you possibly would. But, like, I mean, I suppose my own personal experience isn't the key bit. The key bit is the numbers 
and the numbers in Dublin are uh, far more significant and they have done better out of the allocation in recent uh, in recent cohorts that have come out of them okay. more. Okay. To be fair, there are significant policing challenges in Dublin. I, there's no doubt about that. I accept that absolutely and they need gathered resources too. My key point is that Cork keeps being passed over. Now, like, I mean, I do think it's important when we have a conversation like this as well, Neil, there are big issues to be tackled. There's no doubt about that. We need Garda resources increase in city centre, and we have. You don't. Start to yeah, but like, I'm coming to like the the there's definitely you know when there's an incident, sometimes it means that the Garda resources in the city are stretched. Having said that, do I believe that Cork is a great city? It is a very positive city that there's lots of good things happening in the city centre. I do, and I think there's an awful lot of good things happening in terms of our restaurants and our pubs and the nightlife and all that that's kind of gradually coming back. And I do think that message needs to come out. Um, I don't think we should be, we can be honest and acknowledge the problems that are there while also recognising that we have a fabulous city yeah. and there's a lot of positive things going on. But you see, it. a lot and of people travel overseas and they go to the likes of Spain or they go to the likes of France or Italy and they see their guardy or their police and they're armed. You, you tend to kind of pay an awful lot more attention to an armed police officer. Do you think it's time for the Irish guardy to be armed? I don't know. I don't think we're at that kind of stage. Like, and I'm not sure that, like, most of the situations we're talking about here uh, are not necessarily ones that, like, I mean, a gun is going to make any improvement to. It's about the guard being there at all. It's not necessarily about what they have, you know, their ability for to pull a gun or a baton or anything like that. Like, I mean, most of the instances that I think people can think of, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's. But why then do they walk around with them in Spain and Italy or, or France, for instance? They're not going around shooting people, but it's a serious yeah, deterrent, yeah. isn't well, it? Look, I, I can't, I can't speak to that. I can't speak to that, to be honest. Which I'm only talking about here. I don't think the situation is going to be improved by that any bit. I think it's the guard themselves is the key resource. It's being able to see the guard and the guard being able to defuse the situation. Uh, I don't think that, uh, like most of the incidents that people are talking about, there can be some very serious incidents, but most of the incidents we're talking about, there are there are fights, there are assaults, there are aggravations, and there's antisocial behaviour, and there's tests and things like that, which are very serious, but they're not issues that are going to be resolved by the guard uh, having access to a gun or anything like that. Like, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think we're in that kind of space at all. I think what we need is more feet on the street and I think that's what people need to see. I think we have, I think we have, well, I, you know, no secret, I think we have the greatest city in Ireland, perhaps the world, uh, but uh, to make it what it really needs to be, uh, there are improvements that we have to make and I think a better guard of presence is one. But I, I, you know, I do think and There's you, a lot of positive things happening in the city. You so. don't think that a, a medically supervised and it would be supervised injection facility would lead to even more antisocial behaviour and people gathering in around that area? No? Bound well, to, like, isn't I mean, There'll be a lot no, more dealing going on around it and that, won't yeah, there? Yeah, I, I don't think it's bound to. No, I don't think it's bound to. But Just that there'd be drug dealing around it. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I suppose, as I say, like, I mean, this is a policy that I think the Gardaí have signed up to the City Council, has signed up to the Department of Health, has signed up to us about treating drug addiction as a medical issue. And like, I mean, I believe that that is the right approach, um, speaking from policy point of view. Now, can you have a good policy and implement it badly? Of course you can. So if this is going to happen, it needs to be done on the basis of consultation, of picking the right location and ensuring the resources and that everyone in that in the location are bought into it, which I think can be achieved, and ensuring that the resources are there from a Garda point of view, from a head point of view, to ensure that it works. Because, you know, you can implement these things badly. Of course you can. 
so we need to avoid the dangers in that. Um, having said that, like I mean, is that the same issue as the issues that we're seeing every week uh, in our city centre? Uh, I'm not sure that it is one and the same. I think the key issue there is about having to gather the resources to deal with issues when they arise. Um, that's my view and that's where my folks are going to be and I'm going to be trying to raise this with the Minister for Justice in the dial this week. It, it, I think it can make a key difference. Uh, and, like, I mean, it's also okay. in some of our suburban areas. Like, I mean, I suppose we've spoken in the past, some areas that have grown re- very, very rapidly don't have proper opening hours. They don't have the gather presence that they should, like your Balancholics, your Douglases, your Carrie Lines, yeah. your Glen Myers. These are places that were much smaller 20 years ago. The garden numbers haven't increased there like they should. And that's not fair in those communities either. Yeah, I mean, garden numbers are a bit like housing, aren't they, when you think of it? But that's for another day. Just just before I let you go, because there, there are you know, the issues going on. I know you spoke about issues involving you know the, the, the times that we live in. One of them has to do, and I understand the regulations and the guidelines and things that parents have to do and the protocols but working parents I'm hearing a lot more of them now living like an, an ongoing nightmare at the moment waiting for the call from school or waiting from the creche to say that Johnny or Mary has a runny nose or another one has a cough and you need to come and take them home I'm told it's starting to cause havoc for working parents you know having to, from picking them up organising a test for them waiting for the results that can take three or four days and that means I think a parent has to take time off to stay with the child is it going to be like this all winter do you think are you hearing that I mean you're a well, parent yeah. what, what are your thoughts yeah yeah no listen and we've been in that situation you know where uh where we've had to either self-isolate or one of us has had to stay home because um, a child is sick or they can't go to school or whatever. Like So, yeah, listen, it can't go on like this. It can't. Look, I, I suppose we, to be fair now, to be fair to the department and to NEFED and all the rest of it, there's still a balance to be struck because we know that the pandemic is still there. It's not going to go anywhere. Having said that, where is the balance now? It's in the wrong place. And it is causing huge problems, there's no doubt about it, and it does need to change. The situation where a child who is um, who has no symptoms but, you know, was, you know, like, I mean, like, there's a close contact, deemed a close contact, sometimes those close contacts might be that close. That's not, I suppose, a realistic situation to continue. Uh, no, will that change on October 22nd or, or what? I think to September 27th that they're talking about, but they've been talking about it for a September couple of weeks 27th. now. And it has it hasn't been nailed down yet. So, like, I mean, that's the reports that are coming out. We're trying to get clarity on that because it is very, So, very from hard September 27th, parents won't be called for close contact? What I'm saying to you, Neil, is that's what's been reported, but we haven't got clarity on that yet and we haven't got a decision on that yet. I think that this needs to happen soon. I think it needs to happen soon that there would be... Um, you know, a change in the guidance. There is still a need, obviously. There will still be a need for symptomatic um, children, depending on the symptoms. Now, that's something we need. Clarity. Well, a runny nose or a cough, for instance. Yeah, like, yeah. Look, I mean, I would be looking for them to look at that. They're as well, symptoms, because, aren't they, technically? Like, you know? They are, they are. Like, I mean, I do think we need better clarity in relation to that um, because like, we, we can't... Because a parent, well, you wouldn't be paid there. when you take the three or four days off to sit with your child. You wouldn't. Well, you see, this is the other thing, Neil. This is the other thing. So, one, right, we need the guidance to change, right, because it is tying parents up and not. But the other thing that we need is that, you know, like, I mean, and it's always been the case, I suppose, but I suppose it's happening a lot more now with the pandemic. But it's always been the case that parents, particularly low and middle income jobs, or particularly who are in the insecure jobs, where a child is sick and they have to take time off, that's a big hit to their income. And that was before COVID as well. So I think we need to look at a couple of things there. We need to ensure that parents 
are properly supported when they have to take time off to, to mind their children. There's a number of ways you could do that. One is extension of what's called force majeure or kind of emergency leave. You get about five days a year for that at the minute. We would like to see two or three days advance that at least. Uh, and I raised that in the dial last week. But there's also, I think you could, in the context of COVID, look at extending certain forms of sick leave so that relatives who have to mind uh, sick children, that's obviously parents, but you know, if the, if the guardian was a grandparent or whatever it was, that they could avail of it. I think we should be looking at that too. So there's two elements of this need to solve in this. The current situation but, is totally unsustainable. But you could also just say, you, you could also just send the kids to school with a runny nose or a cough, like used, the way it used to be. Yeah, look, I mean, I, like, I mean, it may be the case that some of those symptoms it may be said that they'll be acceptable. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a public health person. Um, I'm not able to say what the key symptoms are and key symptoms aren't. But what I would be looking for is that where they're asymptomatic and um, that, uh, you know, that's, and, and that they're in close context, that they should still be allowed to go to school. That once we get the public health advice, I hope we get that soon because they've been talking about it for weeks now. Um, there may be certain symptoms where it may be the case that, that they... Uh, you know, that they would be able to still attend depending on the circumstances. And look, I mean... Because you couldn't antigen test a crash or a school before the start of class like every single one and that would be chaotic. No, probably not. Albeit, I do think there's some role for antigen testing maybe. Well, parents do it... Parents, imagine that parents doing it at home every morning. Well, like, I mean, listen, if parents want to do that, there's no harm in it, but I, I don't think it's something that we should be relying on as a policy. But if it meant that they got them into class or into school and yeah, they could yeah, go to look, work, maybe, though, I guess. There's always, Neil, I suppose, like, when it comes down to it, same as before, there'll always be an element of the parents' judgment, and we have to trust parents to judge the health of their child uh, to to a fairly substantial extent, right? And that is going to be the case always and ever. Um, what we need, I suppose, is guidance that, I suppose, makes sure that where there are symptoms that don't pose a significant threat that could be, uh, that are uh, unlikely to be COVID, that maybe we could move on from that space. But we, like, I mean, we can't just dismiss, like, I mean, COVID isn't gone, like, you know, we know that. And um, so, like, I mean, we have to take public health on, this, on the advice on this stuff. But, like, I mean, I suppose what I'm saying is that, that the, where they're not symptomatic, like, I mean, you ha- and that is very frustrating for parents where they totally. know that their child is sel- it's healthy and well uh, and present very little risk to themselves or to anyone else. Uh, I think we need a decision on that zone. And right. we, need support, we need support for parents, Neil. And that's the bit that can't disappear from the agenda because this will still be the case after COVID. We need support for parents where they have to take time off and you know, that could be a huge hit to income. It can be a threat to their sustainability or job sometimes. Um, because not every employer, in fairness, a lot of employers are very sound and decent, but not every employer is. We can't let that disappear from the agenda. We need additional leave and we need support from social welfare for parents who have to stay home. Okay. Because this will continue to be an issue. Maybe. Okay, just finally, a uh, sentence or two. Happy that Michael D. didn't travel north of the border, I suppose? Well, look, I mean, I... Uh, I suppose, I, I think it was the right decision. I think it was the right decision. I would trust Michael D's judgment. Um, I think, you know, these issues around commemorations and things that are sensitive and I suppose in some instances potentially hurtful. At the end of the day, the event was about celebrating the partition of Ireland. I don't think that that's something that should be celebrated. I don't think that's something Michael D agrees should be celebrated. Is there ways of talking about partition and remembering it and reflecting it and recognizing that it's important to some people in the north that they believe in what they call? Yeah, but that, uh, but that we shouldn't be part of that, though. Surely. Well, I think there's well, like I mean, I think there's ways of structuring events like that that you could potentially engage with, but it has to be on the basis of accepting that 
we don't think partition's a good thing. We think partition did uh, an awful lot of damage and continues to do an awful lot of damage. So is there ways of talking about it? Is there ways of reflecting on it? There is. Is it sensible and uh, reasonable to expect the president of this state to come up and celebrate partition? No, I don't think it is. And I don't think anyone should be surprised that he turned down that invitation. He's a sensible man. He'll judge each event um, on its merits. And I don't think he would take that decision lightly. And I think there's a bit of playing politics in the North. You know, there's elections coming up soon. And I think that the DUP and people like that were trying to, I suppose, rally up their base in that regard. I think that that's a pity. I think he uh, he, w- he would have exercised very careful judgment about that. Uh, and I think he made the right decision. Okay, thank you for that and everything else this morning. Does Sinn Féin TD, Donica O'Leary. Incidentally, just as a by the way, uh, I know that this film is like four years old or something. It might even be five years old. It's called The Journey. Has anybody seen that movie? Have you seen that, Emma, or anybody seen The Journey? It's a fictitious account by all accounts. And it stars among other people, Colin Meany, and Timothy Spall. And Colin Meany plays Martin McGuinness. And Timothy Spall plays Ian Paisley. Not the easiest person in the world to play because of his very, very distinct characteristics and accents. But Timothy Spall, an English actor, absolutely nails Paisley. Um, you know, the accent, the, uh, you know, the, 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 the costuming, the makeup, the, the way he carries himself, the walk. Uh, the speechifying. It's a film called The Journey, and if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil anything for it. But um, it 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 centres around the two of them having to take a car journey from one part of Scotland to another part of Scotland to catch an airplane, so that um, they can get back to Northern Ireland. And I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. It's completely makey-uppy and fictitious, but it it tends it 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 tries to tell what the story would have been the two of them in the back seat of uh, a limo van being driven by another character across Scotland and what their conversations might have been like. It's well worth watching. It's called The Journey. Colin Meaney and Timothy Spall. I thought it was fantastic. I mean, I'd watch it a second time. It's called The Journey. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 Red FM. Uh, a lot of texts from yesterday, which I will come back to between now and midday, but I'm conscious of phone calls and getting people on the air. Uh, David standing by, Betty, Orla. First up, Tim. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Um, well, uh, we've a post up online actually asking people do they feel safe in the city and uh, it's very interesting the response where one person says decriminalise drugs, places to shoot up safely and better mental health services would solve a lot. Somebody else says, interestingly, that they would feel safer uh, in New York City at four in the morning than they would at 10pm in Cork City. Stuff like that. What, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, I, I think we need to have a zero tolerance towards um, uh, hard drugs in the city. Um, I think the idea of putting in an injection, injection centre really is, is, a, is giving in. It's, 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 it's a surrender uh, position to take, you know. I think uh, it should be the furthest thing from our mind. Okay, so if there um, wasn't an injection centre where people could go in one area to inject, inject safely and maybe in a sterile environment, what, what should be happening? Okay, so um, I'm going to use this for an example. All right, um, We've all gone through the last 18 months of emergency health legislation. Um, I think there's a societal breakdown. Uh, people, obviously, you're, you're making that point. I'm just framing it as a societal breakdown within the, the city uh, and towns around Ireland in relation to uh, public order, behaviour, uh, life 
knife carrying knives, knife crime, uh, assault, all that kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Um, my point is, therefore, if you look at it, we have a current emergency. So why, why can't we create emergency legislation for this issue, like we did for the COVID issue? Okay, so you okay. have emergency legislation. What does that entail? What is it? Well, it, that would entail that anybody, I, I, would, I would say, instead of the putting in, bringing in NGOs and and treating these people and treating individuals like, oh, so God love you, you're you're a drug addict. That's society's fault. No, hang on a minute. No, you're a drug addict, right? You've made a choice to, to inject hard drugs into you. You therefore yeah, but you have to go before the choice. What happened before the choice? What happened to the kid who came from a vi- very violent family? It's just let me give you one example: a very violent background where one or both parents themselves may have been addicts, or there might have been physical violence or sex violence in the in the home. Child to be taken out. Let's say the child was taken by Tuslo. Let's say went into foster care. Uh, let's say turned eighteen and was left out under the streets on their own. No more foster care. Nowhere to go. Neil, Neil, I'll be straight up. I left school, right, with the literacy of an 11-year-old, okay? And I, I, I found life difficult when I went out into the world. And I respect that. Well, and, 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 uh, uh, yeah. and that's because I have a disability, okay, which is completely never really recognized in Ireland anyway. Okay. It's dyslexia. I'm, I'm a dyslexic, okay? And I, yeah. I, I, my, my experience in life was difficult, okay? I was... The educational system treated me like a persona non grata when I was growing up. So therefore, I have trauma in in relation to that and other traumas. Just yeah. talking personally, yeah. so I, I really I can't find a sympathetic line at this point for what you said. Okay, I think there's a society there's a, there's a there's a rot now developing in society um, due to people's selfish choices that they're making, irrespective of their background. You know, because we all everybody has a background. Everybody has a story to tell, and my point is: is take these people off the street, uh, test uh, blood test them. Like we're we're testing people at airports to get on a plane. Why can't we test people on uh, individual cohorts, let's say, in society that are very obviously off their face on some sort of hard drug? And when you've been test tested, them. what happens then? Put them into a a, a, a dry tank uh, situation, you know, up towards what's it called? Um, what, what's the name that uh, range there? Um, an ex-army base. Kilworth or something. Or Kilworth. Let's say okay, Kilworth so they've dried out like, then for 30 or 60 or 90 days in yeah, some kind of a yeah. locked facility. What happens then? Yeah. What happens then? Then there's a mass advertising. Well, actually, you asked about before, chicken before the egg. So essentially, look at the money that was spent on the whole COVID issue, right? Let's repurpose that scenario and and repurpose that effort and initiative into stopping hard drugs in our society. I have a massive advertising campaign for about 18 months, let's say, and, you know, and make this situation that people who sell hard drugs, who take hard drugs, are social outcasts and pariahs in the same way the drink, drink driving campaign, advertising campaign worked, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It did slowly but surely. It did. You're right. Yeah. And the smoking ban so as well. Slowly yeah, but exactly. surely. Yeah. So let's 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 just grab this issue in that like 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 those issues, and fight it from that front instead of mollycoddling 
and further making a victim out of these victims in their own heads, you know. Okay, can you hold on to those thoughts and lots more besides? I'm going to come back after 11 and talk with you and others again. Text 0868104106. Thank you, Tim. Back after 11. Hi, it's Connor. Join me Sunday from 7 for Green on Red, bringing you the biggest, the best, and newest names in Irish music. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. Here's what people are saying online with regards to whether they feel safe in the city. Sarah says, city centre's gone, very scary. People are struggling and that's hard to see, um, but also quite intimidating. And I wouldn't encourage people to go in anymore, in my opinion, which is sad, really. I mean, I suppose... You know, uh, we still want people using the city centre and there's been a lot been invested in it, particularly across the summertime and businesses need to thrive and prosper. If we had proper mental health services, there probably wouldn't be half as many people struggling in the city as we see. Jennifer says, I don't feel safe walking in the day, not to mind at night. I'm only 50, but I can remember walking home at two in the morning without a fear in me. It's so sad. I'd never move back to Cork. Ruth says, if only we had some sort of mental health services that people could avail of instead of turning to drugs to block it all out. Jenna says there needs to be more support centres for young people and drug treatment centres. There's no support for people. The country has given up on its people, says Kathleen. Paul says Cork City is like an open sewer, filthy in every crevice and doorways used as a toilet by these people. Uh, they, want, they wander around the city in a daze, like you're invading their territory. Dealers herding them to beg so that they have money for their next fix at bus stops. And we, the taxpaying citizens, are made to feel like the unwelcome element in our city, when it's quite, in fact, the other way around. And finally, Heather says, crack and meth are becoming a lot big issue, a bigger issue in town now. Heroin is going to get a whole lot worse, too. It's becoming a party drug. And what young ones uh, take uh, to help with the stress these days, uh, personally, I think more needs to be done, not everywhere, um, from school, community, home and mental health services, no point getting uh, help for mental health if the reason your mental health declined in the first place doesn't change. So I hope you can follow those ones, some texts from online. Um, you can also text yourself 0868104106. Tim, I just wanted to say, maybe at another time, I might have loved to have a chat with you about growing up, maybe a, a, during a, a, an undiagnosed time for dyslexia, where you probably were you know, treated very differently in the classroom. Would that be okay with you at some stage? Oh, that'd be grand, Neil. Yeah, that's no problem. Um, because uh, I'm sure it must have been very difficult for you know when there was maybe thirty or thirty-five in a classroom, and you probably got grief well, I from was, the teacher. I was one. I was one of the first in Ireland to say diagnosed. I was diagnosed in nineteen eighty. Yeah, yeah. Because because so, I, I often yeah. think about that from way back in the day, where clearly there were people struggling who literally. Uh, had difficulty even reading the words on yeah. the page, and and they were called all sorts of awful names by teachers. You know, must have been very tough. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was. It was a traumatic. Um, every every day, I, I that's when I still suffer from anxiety uh, in my adult life from the trauma of you know yeah. being that uh, being in that position as a child going through the educational system. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen. Get your thoughts together on that. And we'll talk about it in the future. But for now, it's zero tolerance to all drug dealing, all drug use, and all drug trafficking. Yeah. You're saying, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, absolutely. And I just want to clarify my our, 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 what would it would say? Um, yeah, clarify my point. I pay roughly four hundred euros a week in tax every week. So I have a stake in this argument. Yeah, financially. you got skin in the game. One okay. third. One third of my wages comes off, comes out, and it's about four hundred euros a week. And I'm not happy with uh, policy 
currently in my country. Are you you concerned or bothered that some of that tax goes into welfare that goes into drugs, is it? I would have. That's that's a serious issue, man. That's, I mean, that's state funding the drug, vicariously funding the drug industry, like, you know. Good point. Well made. Thanks for that. Okay, we'll talk again. Uh, Orla, good morning. Hi, hi, Neil. How What's, are you? What, what are your thoughts on all of this? Because it just seems to be getting worse, not better. It doesn't seem actually. It, it actually is. Go ahead. Yeah, well, that's the nature of the whole thing. Like, I mean, it's it's like a, a, a contagious disease, you know. It's just going to spread. And uh, my point originally was um, what to follow on from the last thing Tim said, which is, you know, most of this stuff is now funded out of, people's social welfare these people are all corpus mentis enough to be able to go and claim their social welfare every week and you said yesterday somebody said that uh, now the the foreign gangs are waiting outside the social welfare offices to, to take social welfare off these people for the drugs that they've gotten on or whatever they yeah, call it, but you I know? was reading the Sunday World actually because um, uh, they, they cover an awful well a lot of the red tops do, but they're saying that mo- most of this is actually being done by uh, Irish uh, drug gangs um, and, and actual oh, di- well, di- 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 different <laughs> families who, who work together and control it. There's well, one of them apparently is, is shifting 50 kilos of heroin a month and turning over 20 million a year, and they're using dealers on the Dublin to Cork train to um, to um, they're using addicts as dealers to deliver to Cork. You know, this is what we're talking oh, about. It's a, it's a very, very uh, well-developed system, you know. I mean, it's not something that's just occurred yesterday. This is going on years in America and all over the world. So these people are just, you know, they're, they're, the place is there for them to take it. It doesn't have to be foreigners. Uh, but they're, everybody's going to have, you know, their, their piece of the pie. But the addicts are there and they're getting their social welfare. Now, I'm not saying that you should come down on them like uh, or take it out on them you know, with their social welfare. But I mean, we are paying the taxes and they are getting it and, and then these uh, criminals are getting their cut. So it has to, an intervention has to be made somewhere along the line and people have to start thinking outside the boxes when it comes to dealing, not with the dealers, that'll the, the police will have to deal with them, but the addicts, like no consequences and there'll be no change and you know that's the same for every human being so you but is that is that along the lines of withdraw all benefits is it well look they come they're they're in the city center right they they have their clothes they get clothes donated they have their food they, the money they get from the social welfare is available then for 100% to pay for their drugs yeah but they're so addicts I mean, like if they're their life over they wouldn't want to be like that like yeah, who? but I mean, like, you know, they're told by by counsellors and that, that, you know, families are told these people have to hit rock bottom, you know. And, you know, if they're getting all their needs met down in the city centre with different, you know, support systems that are in place, you know, they're not hitting rock bottom. And they have the excess money then for their social welfare to pay for yeah. their drugs. Yeah. So I'm not saying, I mean, what I would do is I would implement a system where, you know, the the social welfare, they get an opportunity to, you know, maybe clean up their act. You know, if if they don't clean up their act, then the social welfare is withdrawn. But that social welfare should be put into a place for them in some sort of treatment. And when they get their treatment, eventually, you know, they'll feel it when their money is withdrawn. Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a a vicious circle going on where a lot of them are, they have their paperwork taken by dealers and kept, right? And then they are marched to a post office or they're marched to the GPO and... 
they get the money out, the dealer takes the money and then the dealer feeds them the drugs again. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, Yeah. you know, so I mean, like, this is a social problem. You know, it involves everybody in society. And, you know, know, putting facilities for them in the city centre is going to draw them into the city centre. These people have communities. They're from some communities around the city and around the county. This, the facilities should be within their own communities and they should be kept and dealt with within their own communities. If you put needle... Uh, what you, uh, An injection centre inside and town. Down in Cork City Centre. Cork is only a small city. It's not like you, New York, whereas if you put a needle centre there, you know, people hardly notice it if you put it in some kind of a suburb, you know, or edge of the city. But Cork, you know, it's only a small city. If you start putting needle exchange centres down into the middle of Cork City, it's just another reason to draw them into the city. All right. You know, okay. these, okay. these should be dealt with on a community level and there should be places available for every single person that wants help. They're told, well, come back in six weeks when you're off drugs. What's the point? Their, their social welfare should be taken off them. It should be put into treatment places. There's a treatment bed with your name on it, paid for by your social welfare, when you're ready to take it up. Okay, when you let me, let me get... your treatment, you can then reinstate your social welfare and start looking for work. Now we get some more people on the air here. Thank you for your contribution. Uh, Nicola Talent in the Sunday World was saying that many of the dealers now, the, the, the bigger dealers, have an army of cheap labour targeting many, and they target reformed drug users by giving them free cocaine and heroin to get them hooked again. And once they're back in debt, they're then recruited onto the books to work for free and to pedal the gear. Uh, she was also saying that they use and abuse their own customers, making them mine the drugs in their homes and then letting them take the rap if anything goes wrong. The dealers, the big dealers, stay one step apart, you see. It's a clever tactic, but they're in, uh, she says, for a major big crackdown in the coming months from the Gardaí and the National Garda National Drug Surveillance Unit, apparently. But right now, it's big, big money. And, um, of course, the, it's the rail network is used uh, to ferry it, I suppose, to transport it between... Dublin and Cork, the kilos and kilos of heroin that are coming down into Cork every single month. Uh, one call ahead of the break. Betty, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Um, how do you... It says you don't feel safe in the city at all these days, no? Well, I, I wouldn't, but I was just saying to him there, maybe it is because of all the media and, you know, all the... During the day, I, I wouldn't kind of feel safe walking uh, do on you, my own. Do you, you feel because you're being told it's not safe, is it? Yeah. Well, you know, when you read the stories, then you see the news yeah. and, and you, you, you read everything. Um, definitely not at night. I wouldn't feel safe. No, no. Wouldn't be, um, good. It wouldn't be a good idea, no. No, because, I mean, years ago I went into the city and I went, I'd walk from one club to another club to to a pub to go and get taxis and things like that. And there was no problem. I, I wouldn't have been afraid then. On your you own? Know, you, might see, you might see a few, maybe three or four, kind of like up against the shop. Like, and you'd be kind of walking past. And that was about as afraid as you got. Once you got past them, then you were like, oh, thank God for that. Yeah. But yeah. no, I wouldn't. I, I, I wouldn't feel safe. What about during the day, though? During daylight hours? Wouldn't you go in then? The daylight, yeah. I mean, I used to go into the city and I'd go as far as uh, the English market and stuff like that. Um, 
would I feel safe now? I, I don't know to be uh, like. You'd be I, watching I, your bag or your purse yeah, or your phone or yeah, whatever. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and you be kind of worried in case if you go to the bank machine, someone no, that's correct. That's, that's everywhere. Yeah. But I, it's just if you go to a bank machine, or you your purse is out of there, or you're on the phone, you're afraid somebody will grab it in case they need money for drugs or whatever or alcohol or anything like that. The days of going you into know? the bank for money are gone. Of course, it comes from a hole in yeah. the wall now in the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Are, I mean that, that that's personal. Thing of the bank is gone now where you could go in and yeah, yeah. go to safely, the safely, discreetly, yeah, 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 yeah. You like you're out in the street now, or you can maybe go into the bank if there's one open. So, for you, because is it is it more like shopping and miles you'd go to then like a Bishopstown or a Douglas or a Blackpool or a I would go to Douglas now, yeah. uh, Douglas would be the most I go to, yeah. Uh, w- would be like, but s- some of these people, there's no help there for for these drugs that people are taking drugs. There's mm-hmm. no help really there for them. Neil, they say I see a text saying that you, that people should go into the city on a Saturday afternoon. That there's a good buzz there, the crowd is good. It's it's very safe. It's very family orientated. Then, but of course, it's after dark is when you wouldn't yeah. want to be going in. You know? Yeah, yeah, I I think so too. Like. I mean, I, I remember about before COVID started going in, going into the market and sitting down outside and then I'd have somebody come along if I was sitting on my own and asking for money or something like that or I have you a cigarette. No, I, I don't know. have a cigarette. Like, I know. No peace. You, know? you wouldn't get any peace. No peace. Yeah. Be on you your guard. Yeah. 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 I know. I know. You'll be on yeah. your guard totally all the time. All right. Mind yourself, Betty. Thanks for listening. Thank Thanks for calling. God bless. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Back Bye. after the break on 1850-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. God knows how many different tablets out there when you add in the prescribed ones like Valium and Diazepam and Lyrica and Halcyon and you got Smack and Heroin and all sorts of stuff. It's just really a, a cocktail of availability out there in the marketplace. Not, not good. Um, but there are always uh, stories of success and Mark is one of those. He joins me by phone. Mark, good morning. Hi Neil, how are you? Good, and congratulations on your ongoing recovery. For you who've been through it, certainly with regards to heroin, um, it must be sometimes frustrating to listen to people who have opinions on the topic without having gone through the suffering and the addiction and the pain. Would that be right? Yeah, that would be 100% correct. I just think it's a bit bit ignorant. Um, It's totally understandable that there's a scourge of drugs in the city and the country. Um, Myself, like there's, there's only a certain amount of treatment centres in the in in the country, and it's very hard to get into them. You have to be 100% clean for 90% of the places, which you know it's kind of ironic, really, because these people, like myself, you no, know, we get, like I was never on methadone, but there's other people out. Yeah, you need to just move around a little bit there, see if we can clean this up, because I am very keen to talk to you, but the line's breaking up. Is it any better now? No, I'll tell you what, I will come back to you. So hold on there if you don't mind. And uh, as soon as that's cleaned up, we can have a proper chat. Louise, good morning. No, I hang up one minute. Are you there? Do you hanging up on me or what are you, who are you hanging up on? No, 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 I'm not, Neil. No, no, I'm here. Well done. I'm okay. There. All right. You wanted to pick up on a couple of points that were made there uh, with regards to uh, addicts, is it? Yes, yes. As in, like, how, how people refer to addicts as in them. Yeah. Do you know, like, as if 
like they're not like they're not human, you know. It would have been like how people would have referred to other races before other races of people before we all became, you know, mm. sort of hopefully yeah, mm. living in harmony together. But mm. you know what I mean? It's like there's some alien form or something, and it, it's the way they're referred to, like where they're, 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 they're very much dehumanized uh, that we don't very look. Much. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, very much. And like the addict themselves feels that way. Like without other people referring to them as that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because every single I one think, of us, every single person out there has a story of interest in them, you know? Oh, 100%. It's after touching everyone. Yeah. Just touched everyone. If it hasn't touched somebody living in your home. Well, it would have touched maybe another relative, but even if it was a friend. Yeah, but right? a lot of years, for years it was drink. It's, it's not it exclusively was, drinking. It yeah. It no, it is, is, but not exclusively now anymore, you know? No, no, no. Drugs, drugs are there. And I know they say it's up to the individual to take it. But obviously the addiction is in the person, you know? And... So one person could take up a drug and take it that night, we say, and then that's that for them. But the fella sitting next to him then would have the illness of addiction. And he can't stop or she can't stop. Oh my God, I'd say, I'd, say one, I'd say one syringe of her heroin's enough. Well, you see, that's gone on to the bigger stuff, but I don't think anybody sits down and starts off with heroin, Neil, you know? Mm, mm, it, mm. It, is, it is a build-up, like, you know, it is a rare... If it has happened, maybe it has, like, you know, but it would be rare. So, it would be really a build-up to it, like, you know. So, the addict themselves are not the people that put it in the medical textbooks as an illness. They will be doctors, you know. So, it is an illness. And that is what people need to understand. Well, I, I think, think Mark, would be, Mark would be a great example of what you're talking about in a couple of minutes' time. Somebody who's... I suppose, for want of a better term, drug of choice was heroin. I guess you ultimately have to make the choice to use heroin. That's why I say that, put it that oh. way. But but now, two and a half years later, he's clean. He's in recovery. He's going back to education. So he is the person, you know, he's the individual you're talking about. Like, like behind every addict, there's a family or someone who loves or loved them, you know? Oh, that definitely is. Like, you know, it affects all the family and, and any friend of the family, any loved, any person that would care and love for the addict is affected. So when you hear people saying, round them up, take away their wel- their welfare. Yeah, you know, them, they. Yeah. It's like there's some, oh, it, it, it's, you know, it's just, I suppose it's really just an uneducated comment, like, you know, okay. like if people were more educated and that's where it would come in at with younger people I think you know I know but at the same time there, there's there, people are kind of fed up or have had enough of say Cork being hijacked or taken over um, where it's not safe anymore or they're harassed or they feel you know vulnerable in the city my with opinion in the city is that you see all the services are in the city they live in the city like that's their home it's mm. like me now living True. where I'm living True. and people are saying, why is she always around here? True. Well, I actually live here. Yeah. Like all services are in the city. All their beds are in the city. If they get B&B, 
it'll only be on the outskirts of the city, as in like Water, uh, Western Road, you know, they're around about. So that's where they live. They, again, I'm saying it. That's where addicts and people with illnesses like that live. Uh, so the streets are, are their home, go? yes. Yeah, where yeah. are they going to go when they go out in the morning? So come up to other people's areas. Okay, okay, good points, well you know? made. Thank you for that. Much obliged, Louise. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mark has cleaned up there, but let me just, because I, I've just uh, segregated one email that I want to just read, and I'll come back to him then. It's an, uh, this is an email that I got from the other evening. She says, an email I didn't ever expect to find myself writing, but I really need some advice and some help. Maybe Mark might, Mark might actually have an opinion on this himself. My, my husband is a functioning cocaine addict for approximately the last three years. We have a small one and I'm currently pregnant. His drug use has been on and off, mostly on for this period of time, the last three years. Um, The mood swings, the anger, the lack of financial support are all taking a toll and I know that this cannot go on. He is functioning in daily life with his functioning cocaine addiction, holding down a job and he adores his little child. However, this isn't the life I wanted for both me and my children. He has most definitely collected drugs and done drugs in the presence of my child, which is not acceptable either. I'm wondering, has anybody been through as to what perhaps I should do next? He is unwilling to move out of the house and insists that he isn't doing drugs when I, of course, know differently. I have numerous positive drug tests. I've read messages to dealers. He has all of the symptoms, angry outbursts, sniffing, bleeding noses. He tried to convince me I'm crazy and irrational. At this stage, I want him out. I feel like I cannot offer any more help and support. I've come to the conclusion that he doesn't want to stop. Perhaps I should go to a solicitor, the guards, or a mediation service for separation. I know I will need to start minding money as I'm facing becoming a single mother, probably without financial support. But I understand I have to get out of this for the sake of my children. Perhaps you might read this out on air. There could be advice from listeners who've been through this. Your podcast has been keeping me going during the nights I lay in bed worrying about my situation. Please keep my details confidential. My apologies to that emailer, actually, to that lady, because it took me some time to get to your to your email. Perhaps things have improved since you sent it to me. I'd love to hear if it has, or maybe the opposite has happened. Uh, but wonder whether also whether people might have thoughts as to what you should do. Clearly, clearly something's got to break there because, um, you know, either he cops himself on, uh, or he's got to go, or you'll have to go. Um, but I will come back to that. But uh, Mark's line is a bit better now. Mark, good morning. Hi, Neil. I'm but good now, am I? That you're much better. That's an interesting email where your man's—he's clearly in denial. Like, even though you know she has all of the all of the proof that he is a functioning cocaine addict. You know, he hasn't hit lo- he hasn't hit rock bottom yet, though, has he? Um, see, I think, think every every addict is different, um, and you know. An addict won't change until he or her is ready to change themselves. They could have tunnel vision for years while they're in addiction and they could just have an epiphany then, like I did. So, look, I'm going to be honest and I'm going to tell you my story. Um, so, I started off young um, smoking cannabis. That's usually the way it goes and experimenting then with party drugs like ecstasy and cocaine. Um, and then I, I had a child and I settled down for a while Um when that relationship ended, I, my addiction actually, would you believe, I started with steroids. Um, it's it's all about self-esteem. 
Where'd you Where'd you get the money to start off young on the cannabis, the ecstasy? Yeah, well, you know what? No, like just friends pulling together when we were young, got yeah. a couple of pounds here and there, you know. In. And where did the steroids stop? Was that gym in a gym or something? Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a testosterone I was using at the time, you know. Um, I just had very very low self esteem, um, so I, I went to the gym and I was working out, and I just want to I just want to pull uh, correct a lot of people and what they're saying. It takes. It, it doesn't take one hit of heroin and you're addicted. It, it took me weeks before I realised I was sick. Like literally, weeks. I was in college. Um, I had been using, and I was very naive to use. Um, as soon as I got sick for the first time, and um, when I say sick, I mean, um, I just said dope sick. I, w- I I immediately wanted to stop. You know. Um, but I asked so, the question uh, yesterday, and I, I even asked it again this morning. Why did you start? Um, okay, cannabis, um, ecstasy, co- cocaine. I can get all of that, but you're not stupid, like. No, absolutely not, no. Um, you were on about it earlier, about trauma, you know. Um, and I, one guy was saying that he had trauma in his life, and I'm sorry to hear that for that guy. But everyone's trauma is different, they handle it differently. I was naive, and I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and there was just a camaraderie there. And it was just kind of go with the flow kind of thing. And then people are saying, you get hooked the first time, you know, and I was like, all right, I've done it the first time, I've done it the second time, I've done it for a week. And I said, all right, I'm not, I'm not addicted, like. So it took it took a matter of weeks for me to to be addicted to the stuff. Um, I went to try to get treatment in Brewery. I wasn't ready for that. It's just, it was just, I wasn't ready. Um, uh, so I came out of there, I relapsed again, I, I struggled from... I, I, I do some How long were you in brewery? 90 days? 60 days? No, I didn't even last that long. Um, see, the thing is, is you can, the families can turn around to their loved ones and say, look, you need to go to treatment. And the, like the courts or, or any, any body like that could just say, look, you need to go to treatment. But the person has to stand up and say, look, I want to go to treatment. It's, I have to do this for me. Now, the reason I got clean is I have a young son who I love and I, I, I haven't seen in a long time. You know, people are ringing there and they're talking about, you know, I just round them up as you were saying, I will go and do this and do that. These are people you're talking about. Mm. These people have feelings and families and, you know, I know like they're obviously scared when they certain people go in town and, and they see a bunch of um, addicts on the side of the street. But so what's any difference to, to Monday to Sunday with the people who drink inside in town with the violence? You know, it, it's just the stigma around drug use itself. It's ridiculous. And I'm experienced in drugs and I'm going back to college to get educated about drugs. Now, they're two, sep- two separate things. And I would suggest to your, to your callers, you know, if they really want to make a change, maybe they might go into penny dinners and volunteer and get to know some of these people, you know, rather than coming on the radio and just slating them. It's, that's not going to help nobody. Yeah. Um, were, were you homeless? Did, did, did it get that I, bad? I, technically, technically, I was homeless, but I always had like um, uh, I was couch often, you know, and stuff like that, you know. Um, I, I've had my my nights here and there where I had to stay on the road and stuff, you know. Um, like the, the, the like you you have places in town there, the homeless places, you know, they're full to the brim, you know, and. I know, like, I have friends currently that are using and that are using them services, but there's just, 
like everything else in this country at the moment, there's just a lack of responsibility from a governing body, I suppose. You know? Um, yeah, but there, there was no, there was nobody put the needle in your hand and there was no, nobody... No, I didn't, put... I, wasn't, I, I didn't inject needle, I smoked. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah. yeah, no, nobody did. Like, it's, it's, it's a personal choice, obviously, you know, and everyone's just got to accept that, look, it is a personal choice. Yeah. People make mistakes. But sometimes these mistakes can catch all day for years. Um, I'm, an, I'm a decent guy. I'm yeah. a nice guy. I would go all my way to do anything for anyone. That's why I came on the, the radio this morning. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm listening to people who didn't really, they didn't know what they're talking about. You know, they have absolutely no idea. And... I just think, you know, maybe... What, they, what was the... Mo- when was the moment then when you said that you were then ready? Oh, oh yeah, that was Jesus. I had an epiphany. I was sitting at my kitchen table um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, um, I, I was using... And I just had an epiphany. So I can't I can't live my life like this no more. Um, I have... Uh, I, my girlfriend stuck by me through it the whole lot. She got me through it as well. I have a young son and I just said, I got to stop this. Now... I'm two, 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 two and a bit years down the road and I'm still struggling with certain aspects of it. Yeah. Because it's, it, it's, when you put down the drugs, there's one thing, but then you've got to battle the, the, the aftermath of it, like, and it could take a couple of years now. But is I is the, af- the aftermath the memories, the psychology of it all, is it? Yeah, you know, I've had psychosis. I've had, like, <laughs> if, if you ever see the movie Train Spotting, yeah. it's not far from that. It's yeah. not far from that at all. You know, and that's no no exaggeration. Um, and then it is getting bad in the, in Cork. You know, I'll admit that. You know, it's it's terrible. Um, and that's why I want to go back into education because with with the addiction, um, it humbled me. You know, um, I, I I'm a people person anyway, and I'm going to go back to education. So do you do you walk among the addicts now, and do you do you see them? I try to keep my distance. You know, um, that was one of the major things I had to do. I had to stay away from everyone. I just basically locked myself in home. I'd go to the gym if I could. You know, um, just go for walks. So anything, just 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 people, places, and things. Need. They're and just free. And is it, is it important for loved ones to stand by and to stick with the partner, even if they're in denial? I'm just curious about that. Regarding uh, that email I read out from the partner, who's a functioning cocaine addict, um, or, or is there a tough bit of tough love involved here, or, or what? It, it, like it can come to the point where where tough love is needed. Um, but anyone, like me, you have loved ones, you know. And it, 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 could you imagine if it was one of yours? Mm. You'd stick by them, you know. Mm. It, it's just it's just the way we are. It's what we love our families. So maybe some people aren't as lucky. But all I could say to that girl who sent in the email is, um, you know, pull them on it. You know, like you put put the evidence in his face, you know, give him give him nowhere to turn and because addicts will always look for any excuse to not talk about it, to just simply but not in it. spite of him saying that he says she's the crazy one, he says she's the irrational one. Um Yeah, definitely, because uh, it's it's just a typical sign of of a drug addict, like they're gonna get defensive mm. and they're gonna they're gonna try their best to pawn the situation off on whoever but themselves. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think if you pull them with the hard evidence, sit down, intervene, you know. And and, and if there was to be a drug injection centre 
say, yeah. um, some location for for addicts to go and use safely. Is that a step in the right direction, do you think? Um, I think that's a slippery slope. Um, I suppose, like, if you're going to be taking people, look, look heroin is here, you know, it's here, end of story. No, I suppose it's just about containing it. Um, like, you'd, you'd obviously, there, there's needles left on the streets and people are ringing in, this, and that's wrong. You know, they should, they should, like, addict or not, they should have to cop on to put that in their pocket and dispose of it correctly. But it's the last thing on their mind, though, I would imagine. No, no, not necessarily. You know, it's just selfishness. Because at the end of the day, just because addicts doesn't mean they get a free ride, they still have to have some responsibility in it. The same as I did. Um, and I'll be honest with you, Neil, I was actually on your, I don't know, a, a few years ago, um, there was a page set up, a vigilante page, if you recall. Yeah, I vaguely remember something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, like, I was part of that issue. You know, I'm... Um, what, people wanted you off the street, is it? Yeah, they wanted they wanted to beat me up and they wanted to, God only knows what they do to me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you were in a bad place at the time, were you? I was, I was in a terrible place, you know. I was were you a, causing like, trouble in, as well then, as well, I suppose? No, I wasn't, I, I wasn't causing any trouble. Um, I, I, see, I wasn't one of these addicts that would have roamed the streets, you know. I would just, I would have stayed in a home and closed the curtains, you And know? was it one of those cases that you were one of the individuals in a house that was using or dealing and people were yeah. talking, and there was kids in the neighbourhood? Yeah, I remember all of that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But look at uh, you now, though. I mean, it's just incredible. It is incredible, and that's what I just want to say to your listeners, you know, is just, just a bit of compassion and a bit of and, humility. And how do you get on with neighbours and friends now who may have crossed the street to avoid you in the past? Is, 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 have you mended I, bridges I, there? Um, you know what, I think just as you get older anyway and you become an adult, you know, you, you, you separate from a lot of people and friends and stuff. But I hold my head up high, you know, you know I'm proud of myself, you know, um, I know I proved everybody wrong, even though I was doing it for myself. Yeah. But like, yeah, I hold my head up high, and I, I'm trying to get back into education so that I can help people that were in, in that are in the. Well, situation. it's amazing to have this opportunity to talk to you again. Uh, that's great. Yeah. You know, it really is. Fantastic. It's great to connect those dots. Thank you for that. Listen, continued success, Mark. Don't be a stranger. All right, stay in touch. I will indeed, Neil. Thank you very much. Great. Delighted for you. Thanks, pal. Mind yourself. Back after the break. Text 0868104106. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. We're talking about more rehab and more residential and more treatment centres. Going into uh, the, the newish world that we're getting back to, you know, um, and the financial constraints that we're under and the debt that we're under and the amount of issues involving having to pay all of COVID back, you got to wonder, on top of all of that, with waiting lists for all sorts of other medical necessities and other people with other issues and other illness and disabilities and surgery that's needed and children that need helping, God, where would we get all of the money to do all that and also to really attack the problems that we have with regards to addiction? I, I think I think if, the, if we could just get the message, I don't know, man, I just don't know. Just don't start, you know, don't do it. Don't smoke it, uh, you know, don't inject it. Just don't do it. Um, I, I don't know whether I'm just being naive or might even be ignorant, I don't know, but I think it's stopping people starting is the thing. Um, really, that's where you really make a difference. It's okay. You need to help those that want to stop and that are ready, like Mark was saying, they have to be ready themselves to actually stop and look for help. But wouldn't it be a much better thing if you could stop them starting at all? 
anyway, we'll come back to this in the morning. Text 0868104106. Also, I need to apologize because by and large, I didn't really get to any of the texts from yesterday morning's program. We covered an awful lot of ground. So tomorrow I will exclusively do a lot more texts and indeed emails. But I just want to get a couple of calls on this side uh, of midday, particularly if you could have some thought with regards to the woman whose husband is a functioning cocaine addict. She's wondering, is it now time to go to a solicitor? Is it time to uh, go to the guards? Is it time to get a mediation service where him and his wife can sit down and talk? Or is it time for her to start issuing uh, separation proceedings against him? I don't know. Do you love the guy? I mean, is there a man in there that you love somewhere um, that you think that maybe uh, you might like to hold on to? Uh, Mark was referencing that, you know, maybe you should constantly uh, be dealing with um, the evidence in front of his face, you know, constantly challenging the guy. I think one of the questions you need to ask yourself is, it, do you still love him, um, you know, in, in spite of uh, his functioning cocaine addiction? But I'd love to get your thoughts, guys. Text 0868104106. My apologies to, to Michelle. I didn't get to talk to her yesterday. This is a story that we have been dealing with uh, from time to time in a particular um, housing estate that she's that she she's anyway she'll tell the story about herself. Michelle, good morning. Morning, Neil. Thanks. You, you, um, you are down in Shanoan, aren't you? In in Rathcormack, yeah. yeah. That's right. and, and you know, you know that I've touched on it on a couple of occasions, and I still have heard nothing back at all in any way, shape, or form. Completely ignored by Crest Homes. So I, I, I have nothing to add to the awful scenario you guys find yourself living in. For you, how long has it been? Um, I've been here since 2018. Okay. Um, are you and, aware that um, some have been there since 2007? And do you, are you aware of that? I, w- I wasn't. When I moved in, I wasn't. And, you know, I suppose maybe on my part, I didn't do research, but we were so grateful of getting a house and getting ourselves out of the, you know, the housing crisis. We were, we, we took the builder, Eamon Rohan, at his word that the road would be finished. We took him at his word that the lights would go in and, um, needless to say, the road is still not there. You know, the lights were put in last year, but we, we've we've had to fight for everything, yeah. absolutely everything. The necessities um, even were a fight. You know? And is it practical to finish that aspect of your estate, notwithstanding the fact that they're go- are they going through it with all of their construction equipment to a new build? Well, he, is it? He has. He has done, and he's dug up the road on several occasions to cover over the potholes. Um, and sometimes gives he gives an awful lot of false hope. He tells us all the time, oh, the road will be done on Monday, the road will be done the 1st of June, the road will be done. Like last year, I had a very frank conversation with him and said to him, you know, the children are falling off, their scooters are falling onto the road, they're covered in building material, we're picking like grit off their legs. I heard that, um, that you pick stones from your son's knees. Does he get caught? Yeah. Does he get caught? Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, but before you even get to the cut, you have to wipe the layer of dirt and dust. And, like, I mean, I'd have very strong issues as to what the content of that road dirt track is. You know, you have, we're on a building site. You, I'm sure you're going to have rodents going across it at night. And we have no surface whatsoever. So... When you're dusting down your child's leg trying to get to where the actual cut is, you're coming across the layer of dust, the mm-hmm. layer of dirt, mm-hmm. and then to the grit. 
you know. And, and uh, you heard Stephen on the air with me last week. When I, I, I did, I suppose. And then I wanted to just follow on from where Stephen was. To, um, where because Stephen it left. seems as if Crest, <laughs> it's obviously Crest Homes. And maybe there are other building companies that are doing the same in other estates and where they move on and do not finish the work. But they do it with the blessing of the county council, you see. And that's the huge problem, Neil. I mean, it, the, the problem goes hand in hand. Like the the reputation that Eamon Rohan has with the council, he should never have been allowed to leave. Well, you see, I can't go there now because I can't get into areas that could be litigious. So we'll have to leave that alone. I can only deal with okay. the information I have on the housing estate and the state of the construction that you live with. Well, you know. Okay. Well, well, I tell you that I spoke myself to Eamon. I spoke directly to the council, and I was very, very disappointed. And to say let down um, is an understatement. When I emailed the council myself, at no time did they identify to me that they were in contact with residents for over 10 years. And more than that, uh, more than yeah. that, more that, than that. And that I have and paperwork that goes back way before then. Uh, yeah, it was, yeah. There was three or four councillors at county council meetings in 2007 and again in 11 and 12, I think, were, were, were representing families back then. I mean, and you mm-hmm. still have people having to use their car lights at night to bring in their children and their shopping because there are no street lights and they're afraid they'll fall. Neil, we have drivers using the footpath. The footpath now on the road has become one because they're using the footpath to avoid the potholes. All our gardens are open. So a child can come out of there at any time, you know. We have no surface that has anything that you would grip to. So if it's a rainy day or, you know, the, there's, there's no grip. There's no signage up here to say there's children at play. There's no, obviously, there's no speed ramps because okay. we have no I road. Know, I know. Um, but haven't you harnessed morning. together more now in the last few weeks now? You've got three councillors back together again. <laughs> you have uh, Chris O'Leary also representing. Um, I think you're going after the county councillor. Isn't that what you're doing? Well, <clears throat> we're going after both. Like, um, Mr. Rohan won't leave this, you know, empty-handed. We are going after both. The council have definitely left us down. Um, and we do want to extend um, an invitation to Tim Lucy to come and see, you know, the, the estate. And to see what his workers have allowed to happen. Because we've emailed them pictures, we've sent them procedures, we've asked for help, we've asked for guidance. And each time we get back, the same carbon copy... Have you ever had anybody from the CEO down in Cork County Council come and meet you? Uh, Previously, the other residents would have had, like, you know, with Stephen and Katie and Tracy, they would have had um, a site resolution plan. So we want to extend a fresh invitation to Tim Lucy to come down to see what's going on down here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and no more than that can I do except keep it live and give opportunities to people from time to time, you know, to... And, and we appreciate that because, uh, you know, off the back of the first conversation, we've got great support. You know, the councillors did come out... You could, um, get, a, you could get a solicitor um, to represent have, you all as one well, group. We will. And uh, as I said, we have a very strategic plan to move forward and we will be looking to hold Mr. Rohan accountable and the council yeah, accountable. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. just need to keep turning up the heat, you know? Yeah. Really. And, and I also heard that some have just sold up. Is that right? They just But left. you would. You get so fed up, yeah. you know? I mean, we have begged, pleaded, shouted, screamed, everything. I know. I know. You know? I know. So I know. I know. You, you would understand why people get burnt out with this. We okay. all have lives that we want to get on with. 
stay in touch, Michelle, will you? Um, happy will, to air it as need. often as I can. Appreciate it. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Thank you so Not much. Not at all. Have a good day. Take care. Text 0868 Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 Red FM. Ah, yes, we're all, a lot of people were very honest and open about their own Debs and Grads experiences and ones we went to. I certainly was, probably overshared, but there we were talking earlier on the, actually it was Friday about Debs and uh, Seamus was out and about. The joyous rite of passage for most. Uh, spoke to listeners about their Debs and their Grads memories and some of us can go back to the time when there was none at all. Seamus took to the streets to talk to, pe- to talk to people about their own memories. Debs, Grads, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. You ain't here to party! I got very drunk, um, as many do in their devs, and my friends eventually found me spread-eagled over a table with a chip in my mouth, and the devs that I was at didn't serve any chips. I was just telling Eli this story today. So they were like, where did you get this from? And I couldn't really answer them. So they are like, come on, we'll go dance, we'll go dance. And they get me up, and I can't dance, or dance, I'm just there flailing. And the security guard eventually takes me to the bathroom and uh, tries to make me throw up, which I didn't, but it was still very embarrassing. So that's my dev story. You don't have anything to top that Eli, do you? Um, well, see, I had, I had a girl I wanted to ask over to the devs, and then I chickened out at the last second. Um, so I was stuck for a date. So I figured better thing than going alone would be go with a blow-up doll. So <laughs> I, um, it was one of the joke shops up in Cork. I went and I found one, and I bought a blow-up doll. And of course, you know, they don't have any clothes on them, you know, it's whatever else. And I was afraid they'd get taken off me. So um, we, we reached the devs, and I, I smuggled her past the bouncer by, like, leaving her folded up uninflated in, like, the back of my pants. And um, got past the bouncer fine. And I went to the bathroom with three of my friends, and we started blowing up in the bathroom stall. <laughs> and, you know, to cover up the fact that she was naked, I got a, a, one of those big black garbage bags, like the trash bags. I punched a hole on the top and the sides for her head and her arms and that was her dress um, and me and my friends our table was at the right end of the hall across from the toilet so we had left the toilet then and I had like my arm around her just walking straight down past my entire year and we got a seat for her at the table and everything sat her down and um yeah, it's a really good night. Now, see, I think he trumps you, so you're all right. You're exonerated. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I got to one the previous year, but that, yeah, same. that one I was just lucky I there. I went someone else's, but yeah. my own got cancelled after I bought my dress. <laughs> it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> it's just less stress. Yeah, except I always have my dress unworn, hanging up in I never my bought wardrobe. Mine. I never thought that far ahead to get mine. But like, does that wreck your head that it's hanging up in a wardrobe and not being able to yeah, wear it? Yeah, it's so sad. So like, after the restrictions are lifted on in October, like, ample time then to go ahead and yeah, go on. Yeah, ours was meant to be like last summer, so I think the people that's meant to be this summer they'll get theirs, but we won't get ours. So. Oh, she'll have to find us some occasion. <laughs> yeah, I swear to college one day. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a few lads who went to a Debs one time or another. Do you remember it? No, I never got invited. No? How <laughs> come? Because I wasn't with my wife at the time. She's <laughs> <laughs> the only one that would take me. What about yourselves? I didn't go to my own one, I went to two other people's ones. And how did that go? Not too bad, not too bad. I've seen worse. i got to go back to work though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, mostly can't even remember it, like, but a funny story is that uh, I wasn't even drunk at this stage. 
and there was oh no no drink on the dance floor or whatever someone spilled drink on the dance floor in my heels went straight flying back legs into the air and everything uh, fell on my back and everyone was just like and then I tried to play off that I was dancing so we got over it anyway I did my leaving in 99 but I never did the Debs I never went no? no okay. I used to be bullied and I never actually went to went, went to it because I said what's the point <laughs> and do you regret not going now? no didn't do my debs. I didn't I do left my debs. I didn't work. And did no you debs. ever miss it? No, no. What we didn't know, what we never had. We never missed. No. Did you remember your debs? No. 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 Did you ever have one? No. That's the easiest answer now for me. <laughs> I don't. I was in her year. I don't remember it either. <laughs> I say you have a, a, a lot of stories to tell, but you're not telling no, them. You know what? I have a story no about my debs now, and you're not getting it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Even for a free pizza voucher, no? <laughs> As Debs and grads for you. One big difference between whether you want to remember them, whether you can't remember them. Our lines will stay open at one 106 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.